This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. So good to be back. Oh, have I missed you. And apparently the world has been falling apart. Holy cow, where do you begin, Baton Rouge? Ah, sad days, folks. Um, tragic, tragic uh, situation from Baton Rouge. We'll talk about that uh, today coming up. Also, Joe Cannon will be in studio with us, um, our Washington insider, as he, you know, we just are going to pick his brain. Today's the day when the GOP convention also begins in Cleveland. We'll get to that. I uh, want to find out, just because I've missed so many things being gone for four days, I want to find out about what he thinks about Trump's pick, Mike Pence. We've got a lot to talk about. On the show also, uh, throughout uh, the three hours of the show, we'll also be getting to um, the, some interesting research about why some people are jerks and why some are nice, which will be helpful, and also uh, connecting with your teens. I drove with my son, my 20-year-old son, 21-year-old son, I think. How old is he? 20 years, 20 years old. Uh, we went to California, and I got to go to the Reagan Museum, which was super cool, and um, got to go to a baseball game with the Anaheim Angels. And what else did I do? Went golfing, played tennis, uh, pulled my hammy. But man, I'm back in love with tennis. What else? Had tons of fun. And interestingly, I watched, of all the movies I could have watched, I watched Gandhi. Not Ghostbusters? Not Ghostbusters. All right. We didn't go to a movie. We just watched a lot of movies. But I watched Gandhi. And I'm telling you, we need a leader after going to the Reagan uh, Reagan Museum, Presidential Museum, and also watching Gandhi. I think we need leaders. We are in a leadership Gap. And uh, I'm not sure it's going to be solved at the GOP convention. We need deal makers. We've got deal makers. This leader stuff, I don't know, but deal makers, yes. <laughs> honestly, honestly, we need Gandhi, holy cow, peaceful resistance, just a spokesperson. We need a spokesperson. The president is doing what he can to try to calm people down when it comes to. Um, when it comes to Baton Rouge now, the the shooting of three officers in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I think I think the president's doing a great job, doing everything he can to to just say, okay, come on, we need we need we need our thinking caps now. Get be calm, everybody, be calm. Let's not incite more violence. Let's let's get together. We need unity, and so you've got to you got to say hats off to President Obama for especially the last uh, two shootings um, from Dallas and also Baton Rouge. Difficult situation, and we need to listen to these people that are that are affected. I mean, we need to, I think, get into the hearts, get into the minds of why there's so many people that feel so dis disaffected, and so. Um, separated from a safe America. A lot of people are sitting at home in a fairly relatively safe situation, and we don't necessarily understand what's going on in the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And so 
I, I don't know. We have to break through that, and we'll try to give you some information, some ideas when it comes uh, to the show, ways that we can help influence that. But, um, man, a lot of stuff going on. Trying Times is the headline on CNN. Three men, fathers, all three, police officers um, uh, from Baton Rouge are, were killed um, by a, a gunman, shot six people. Three officers were killed in a shootout, quite honestly, that uh, high, high, boy, it's sad. I, I sat there and I thought, what is going on? Over and over and over now, we are, we're losing it as a country. We need to gather ourselves together to do that. So we'll talk about that today throughout the show. Also, hopefully give you some hope. One of the goals of the show is to help you see the good in the world. And there is a lot of good things going on. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin, what's up? Thanks, Matt. Three Baton Rouge law enforcement officers investigating a report of a man with with an assault rifle were killed on Sunday. Three other officers were wounded, one critically, police said. Um, Police said Gavin Long, 29, of Kansas City, Missouri, who has been identified as the shooter, was killed at the scene. The shooting, which took place just before 9 a.m., less than a mile from the police headquarters, one witness described a gunman who was wearing all black and carrying extra clips of ammunition. President Obama said the shooter's motive is still unknown. Hillary Clinton maintains a five-point national lead over Donald Trump even after a period of negative news for the presumptive Democratic nominee, according to a new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll. Clinton leads the presumptive GOP nominee 46% to 41% in a poll. The president of the Cleveland Police Union asked Ohio Governor John Kasich to ban all open carrying of weapons in Cleveland after six police officers were shot in Baton Rouge on Sunday. Governor Kasich's office says he cannot ban open carry of firearms at the Republican convention in Cleveland. Quote, Ohio governors do not have the power to arbitrarily suspend federal and state constitutional rights or state laws. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration has prohibited all airlines from flying from Turkey to the United States over the weekend after a failed coup sparked violence and a government crackdown over there. The agency also issued a notice banning U.S. commercial and private aircraft from flying to Turkey. And lastly, Matt, The Secret Life of Pets stayed on top of the box office with $50.6 million in its second week, according to studio estimates on Sunday. Sony Pictures' female-led Ghostbusters reboot opened with an estimated $46 million in North American theaters. There you have it, Matt. There's your headlines for this Monday morning. Thank you, Caitlin. Man, they sure love their pets. The Secret Life of Pets. It's killing it. As is, uh, it sounds like Ghostbusters is doing okay, too, as well. They love their ghosts and they love their pets. What do you say? Hey, uh, interesting um, letter. So one of the slain Baton Rouge cops um, wrote a heartbroken letter on race relations just weeks before his death. Montrell Jackson uh, wrote an emotional post, put an emotional post up on Facebook, urging people to let hate, to not let hate infect your heart. Listen to what he said um, and how telling that a few days later he was then shot. Um Uh, I'm tired physically and emotionally disappointed, Um, disappointed in some family, friends, and officers for some reckless comments. But hey, what's in your heart is in your heart. I still love you all because uh, it takes too much energy, but I definitely won't be looking at uh, you the same. Thank you to everyone that has reached out to me or my wife. It It is needed and much appreciated. I swear... I love this city, but I wonder if this city loves me. In uniform, I get nasty, hateful looks. Sorry, hateful looks. And out of uniform, some consider me a threat. 
I've experienced so much in my short life, and these last three days have tested me to the core. When people you know begin to question your integrity, you realize they don't really know you at all. Look at my actions. They speak loud and clear. Finally, I personally want to send prayers out to everyone directly affected by this tragedy. That's, I think, the shooting of the two uh, uh, black men that that started a lot of these – these protests, but then also the shooting of the police officers in Dallas, I think is who he's referring to there. Finally, I personally want to send my prayers out to everyone directly affected by this tragedy. These are trying times. Please don't let hate infect your heart. This city must and will get better. I'm working in these streets so the protesters, officers, friends, family, and whoever, if you see me and need a hug or want to say a prayer, I got you. And that was... um, Montrell Jackson, one of the men killed in Baton Rouge, one of the police officers, just posted that on his Facebook page. (sighs) Tragic. A good man, right? A great heart on the streets and apparently was receiving a lot of backlash for the simple fact of being a police officer. And he gets it. I mean, he was saying it. I get it. But know my heart. I'm out there doing what I can to protect everybody. So as the president uh, is pleading, we need to just back down the rhetoric. Understand a lot of people are hurting. We all have to understand that. And, uh, you know, there's not going to be a a great answer and a great chant. Again, after watching Gandhi, after 15, 1600 people were shot down by the British in a peaceful resistance kind of uh, protest, um, there's still power in in peace and and choosing peace. Interestingly, the gunman said, no, everybody, you know, th- you'll always win if you rebel and, and fight back. But again, the words of Montreal Jackson, don't let hate take over your heart. It's tough. But what words, I think, for all of us to live by. It is the, also the GOP convention. And uh, again, I'm not sure you're going to get a lot of answers from the GOP convention um, for the big issues that are going on in the country right now. I mean, I think you're going, you're going, they're going to try, right? They're going to say what they can say. They're going to do what they can do. One uh, interesting thing John Kasich uh, said, he spoke to um, the NAACP convention and talks of his, uh, his efforts in Ohio about uh, police community relations. We must maintain law and order at the highest level, or we will cease to have a country. One hundred percent. So that was sorry. That was Donald Trump. We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to listen to John Kasich and uh, his talk about what he's trying to do with the NAACP in Ohio. We now have a policy, a statewide policy on the use of deadly force, being adopted by police agencies all throughout this state. We have created models for the hiring and recruiting of officers to reflect more diversity of the community. And at the same time, we're about to unveil data collection so we can actually determine what's happening throughout our state. And we're right on the verge of creating the community collaborative. And that is a collaborative where police understand the challenges of the community And the community understands that police officers want to go home at night with their children and their spouses. 
perhaps it can influence or perhaps some of it can even become a model to what is achievable all across our country. Hmm. And you wonder, I mean, I love the ideas, but you wonder if a politician can change this. Can a leader step in and change it? And again, that's John Kasich who ran for president, you know, third last third person standing, I think second person standing, uh, would have been, I think, a great vice president pick for Donald Trump, but uh, not in the cards. Also, not speaking at all at the GOP convention that is is in his very own state. Apparently wasn't interested in speaking. Um, is that how you're going to solve it? Is a politician going to be able to step in and do something about the the chaos that we're we're having in our country. Again, I said earlier that President Obama is having a call for unity. This is what he his he had to say in the wake of the Baton Rouge shooting. Around the clock news cycles and social media sometimes amplify these divisions. And I know we're about to enter a couple of weeks of conventions where our political rhetoric tends to be more overheated than usual. And that is why it is so important that everyone regardless of race or political party or profession, regardless of what organizations you are a part of, everyone right now focus on words and actions that can unite this country rather than divide it further. We don't need inflammatory rhetoric. We don't need careless accusations thrown around to score political points or to advance an agenda. Well... That's kind of going to be tricky as the GOP are in town. What do you, I mean, five nights of speaking with – is it five? It's four, I think. Four nights that will feel like six. I think they realize that Friday is a horrible TV night. Yeah, it's travel day. So it's just Monday through Thursday. <laughs> and yet the president's like, OK, we don't need rhetoric. Mm. I mean, it's interesting. There's one night going to be devo- devoted to Benghazi. OK, the Benghazi That's night. the theme of the night is Benghazi. Really? I think it's Wednesday. Because Thursday is when Trump will speak. Yeah. I think Wednesday is when Pence speaks. So one oh. of the nights will be well, One of the, one of the nights, Scott Baio speaking. Yeah, Scott Baio. Chachi. So Charles and Charles are coming back. <laughs> Charles and Charles will be back. Oh, man. So watch the rhetoric. That's going to be scary. I, I hope they can deliver on that. But Trump apparently has another announcement coming up. He ab- does. About um, – Oh, you well, know. he's he's angry because well. he had this big announcement for his VP, his vice president, and Mike Pence, yeah. governor of Indiana, that was leaked. The problem, I mean, they were going to announce it Friday, but then the the uh, uh, the attack in Nice, France, happened. Right. Oh, so yeah. So then they postponed it and they did it Saturday, but everyone already knew on like Thursday and Wednesday it leaked, and so he was angry that they missed the media punch they were going to oh. get and the big thing there. So. Because uh, Trump was frustrated over that, Donald Trump is now telling those close to him that he wants a do-over of sorts, which he aims to get by rolling out the names of his potential cabinet members. Okay, okay. So he's going he's gonna to get the punch out by, re, by naming potential cabinet members, not actual, but just people that he might seat in his cabinet. Yeah, multiple sources from the Huffington Post, which says multiple sources say that Trump wants to name Chris Christie, the Republican governor of New Jersey, as his attorney general. Although knowing Trump, he could change his mind at any moment. Yeah. Well, there are reports that he was – the on Friday night, he was asking his people 
Should we go with Pence? Yeah. Should we try somebody else? It's like else? he was trying to back out of he was that. trying to back out of the vice presidential pick. And then on Huffington Post, they talked about the fact that um, I guess Chris Christie was livid that he didn't get the nod. They're saying that Jared Kushner, who's uh, or Kushner, Trump's son-in-law, who plays a major role in the campaign, fought against Chris Christie as the vice presidential pick. Oh, wow. And that's tense. Yeah. Now, every time Christie sees Kushner, it's going to be like, hey, hey. Want to get this knife out of my back, man? What are you doing? <laughs> but you are you know going to be the AG. I've, you know how many times I've gone to McDonald's for that guy? Why can't I be his <laughs> vice president? <laughs> Sorry. But, I mean, that would be seriously disappointing if you thought you were going to be the vice president and then you weren't. It also says that retired Lieutenant General Mike Flynn, who Trump at one point floated as a potential vice presidential Secretary pick, of defense. would surely be on the short list for defense secretary, yeah. unless, of course, Kid Rock makes himself available. Yes. The Huffington Post. The Huffington Post is funny because they, they first said they weren't going to have any Trump news on the front page. They're just going to put him in the entertainment right. section, which I don't think they actually did. No. But on the bottom of every uh, Huffington Post article, it says Donald Trump regularly incites political violence and is a serial liar, rampant xenophobe, racist, <laughs> misogynist, and birther who has repeatedly pledged to ban all Muslims, yeah. 1.6 billion members of an entire religion, from entering the U.S. Wow. That's just an editor's note. So, you know, there's just some, a little side note. There's some uh, skewed behavior there. Donald Trump's the jerk. <laughs> Oh, the Huffington Post. Well, okay, it's been busy. It's I, I go out of town, and then all of a sudden, the Nice tragedy and Baton Rouge. Holy cow. I missed a lot. And then the coup attempt in Turkey. What's happening to this world? We'll get to all of it uh, throughout the next three hours, folks. But uh, we'll take a break, come back, going to visit with our, our good buddy, Joe Cannon, find out what he thinks is going on. You know, the GOP convention. They're in town in Cleveland, folks. It's party time. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. In the studio with us is Joe Cannon, and uh, Joe is a good friend of the show. We bring him on. To pick his brain, he's he's got a great brain, and he's in the know. He knows a lot of uh, people. He's run for office himself. He's also uh, been uh, appointed to, to some positions um, in the political realm in the world. He's been an editor of a of a large newspaper um, in the Intermountain West, and so we we enjoy him being here. And he's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. And if you go to fuelfreedom.org, you can find out more information about that. But, Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Good, good to be here. Good to see you. And we need we need a little insight. What do you think? I mean, a man who lived through the 60s and 70s, and now you see police officers being shot in Baton Rouge and Dallas, Texas. You see officers killing uh, innocent males, apparently. Um, uh what what do you think? What's going on with this country? And and how do we lead our way through this? Well, it's, first, it's just a, a Baton Rouge oh. and Dallas. I mean, just, these are just tragedies. Yeah. Um, but and they are they are notable. But there have been a number of other police shootings also, and uh, police shootings are are on the rise. And it's uh, it's it's it's. Um, Terrible and also frightening yeah. uh, for for many people. Uh, so, wow! It, it just uh, there and are, the president makes a comment about 
you know, we, we got to keep the rhetoric down, keep mm-hmm. the rhetoric down, which many would say, well, yeah, but you, you, you bring out a lot of rhetoric historically. So how well, do, yeah. I mean, how do we lead through this? This is where after going to the Reagan library and, and watching and actually reading the cards that said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, right. I thought we need a leader. We need somebody that can stand up and can bridge this gap. Well, I'm not sure where, where to start yeah. on this. I, I'm not sure a leader can change. I mean, there was a wonderful quote by one of the policemen saying, you know, don't, don't, I don't remember the exact quote, but basically, yeah, don't, don't let, let your hearts yeah. be uh, filled with hate. Don't, don't let this, uh, and that's what happens. It's really a change in hearts on uh, all the way around. But, uh, it, it, you know, the people have to change and people oftentimes, not always, people oftentimes get the leaders that they deserve. Mm. And um, I'm not sure what we deserve as a country <laughs> these days. Uh, oh, don't when say you look, that. When you yeah. look at the two choices, I had a really good, good close friend, a Democrat, tell me last week, he said, how is it that each party nominated the only person that the other party could possibly defeat? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's – I mean because they're, they're – their what are the, their numbers are so equally yoked as being like the the least acceptable person in politics. Yeah. Oh. So anyway, the, the with the tragedy, I mean, I I don't know where where it will end, but as you we talked earlier, I'm an artifact of old age, I guess. But I actually did live in the '60s, and one of the things the '60s produced uh, because of. of Race riots and college campus riots. And in 1966, California elected Ronald Reagan over a very popular mm. um, Pat Brown, Jer- Jerry Brown's father, very popular guy. I, th- I think Reagan got beaten by a million votes, which was yeah. a lot in California. And then that was 66, and then 68. If you if you recall, there was uh, a lot of violence at the Democrat convention right. in Chicago, and then there were also the whole between 65 and 68. Uh, you know, some terrible uh, riots, uh, uh, urban riots. And a lot of people think that's how Nixon got elected. I think maybe Trump must think that because I, I, I hear all of a sudden this morning, you know, the, the theme of the camp, the camp, uh, the convention is make America safe again. So they're really oh, hitting, interesting. They're hitting, hammering on that yeah. law and order, um, which I yeah, haven't heard that for 40 plus 50 right, years, right. you know, that all of a sudden it's a, and now law and order is a is a campaign trope again hmm. so it's a have the i mean again we have a we have an african american president that seemed like amazing progress but then it also seems like on the ground in these cities the policies haven't they're not working we're we're not creating a safer place for everybody in the country well it's counterintuitive to me and i think a lot lots of people that uh you have an African American president, and race relations haven't been this bad uh, in my memory since, yeah. since the '60s, since the uh, the whole civil rights the civil rights movement, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a deep tragedy. We've had that, we've had two African American attorneys general, and is it? Um, and so they they were the policing forces. They're the senior police officer, right, for, for the government, and. Have we? What do you see happening there? Is there policy that needs to be made? Is it what? Because even that didn't seem to to get us through this very cleanly. We don't seem to still be. Well, yeah, yeah. or is it? A, is it an issue? Is it a political issue? 
And can it can this be solved politically? Well, I think uh, politics certainly matters a lot. So yeah, I don't think that Eric Holder was particularly helpful to race relations. I don't know Loretta Lynch. I don't know that there's a lot that she's said or not said that has uh, affected it. But um, so, so politics matters. Uh, truth matters. And, you know, one of, one of the problems is is that uh, you do have a disproportionate number of African-American males who are in prison, who are singled out. Mm. And, and um, you know, I don't have any doubt that there's some racism involved in that. But it's also true that a disproportionate number of crimes for a lot of different reasons occur in that population. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to be truthful. It's important to be as strong as you can on law enforcement, as fair as you can be. Um, but, and not tolerate. But, 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 yeah, but you can't tolerate crime. And now right. what we've got is – now in, in addition to crime uh, – You've got targeted uh, policemen being targeted, and that is a tragedy because it just makes the streets less safe. Yeah. It makes people more fearful, and it, it just exacerbates the conditions. And uh, it seems like that's where Paul – I mean, again, because you'll, you'll, you'll need a variety of policies, right? You'll need to get jobs to the inner cities. You'll need to get – I mean – It's a whole range of wages, things. All these uh, things yeah. that – that get thrown out there and all these terms that get thrown out there, but it's it's almost seems like it's created this you know, this boiling over. But often the rhetoric at the yeah. highest levels and other levels is all about things that uh, e- either exacerbating the race problem, race race issues, or diverting attention to other things. Yeah. You know, gun control. Yeah. Oh, okay. Going to gun and, control. Yeah, so so that's gonna solve a problem and Or know, was this terrorism? I mean again, like it's it's still on the hills of terrorism, right? right? So, and that, so we and have that I think, fear, and I think the the whole Trump trope of the convention today is sort of amalgamating all of his favorite issues: immigration, yeah. terrorism, and now adding to that uh, d- domestic violence against a policeman. And you know what? You do have it's you, that all of those things can create yeah. a climate of. Fear. That's, and that's a that's it, a tragedy. It's becoming a fear campaign yeah. again. I mean, now all of a sudden, I, I saw, I read that somewhere that it, you know, apparently it's about fear now because there are so many issues from Nice to right. a coup attempt in Turkey that would lose one of our allies and all of these other things that um, that brings chaos to it. Uh, I've got to ask you, and uh, uh, what do you think, Mike Pence? We we haven't been able to talk about this. Right. By the way, uh, uh, the worst job. In the history of politics, I think is being Donald Trump's vice president <laughs> well, because you can't win. Did you see the interview with him? He can't win. He can't even make – he can't – like Donald won't be quiet long enough to just let Mike – just let Mike soften him and to the media. He's got a – he's speaking from his heart and then Donald has to insert, well, I'm also speaking from my brain. I'm also, I mean he, I don't know that Mike Pence can win. Well, it would be a very, very tough job being vice president to Donald Trump. The the only good news for Mike Pence is, it's, is there's still a fairly small chance that he'll actually be the vice president <laughs> true, to, huh? to Donald this Trump. This will only but, be about five months or so. Is that what you're yeah. saying? 
Well, I watched the. We probably have to take a break here in a sec, but I watched the uh, the Mike Pence announcement oh, <laughs> Saturday. Yeah, honestly, I, it was like a parody. Like you're watching like a, 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 an SNL <laughs> episode of of something. Uh-huh. He gets up and he can't not help himself. He's, you know, there's uh, a lot of narcissism in politics. Yeah. A lot, yeah. and a lot at the presidential level on both sides. But he's way near the high end, if not the high end of. Oh. Uh, like you're not even allowed. He's not even allowed. Mike Pence isn't allowed to have his own opinion because it's, it, you just can never be on the same stage with Donald. I think. Well, there are some things. There's a rule. We, there, are, there are some things out of that introduction there that we should talk about. But it, you're we'll right. Come back and. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't want to. But it, but it was like a Saturday Night Live episode. Really, it was just totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, we'll have more. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. More with Joe Cannon. Our Washington insider, just our our life insider. He, he he's, he's he's got a head on his shoulders, folks. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back. There's the theme music for our guest, Joe Cannon. Uh, Joe is our good buddy, our Washington insider, and uh, he just gives us the insight we need about politics and how to navigate through these crazy days. Um, Joe, welcome back, my friend. Thanks, Matt. By, we, by the way, there's another intro music you got to consider sometimes. What? Another Bob Dylan piece called Everything is Broken. <laughs> that, how fitting. How it is. No, no, no. It's, it's actually even more apropos than uh, living in a political world. <laughs> Everything is broken. Everything is broken. Um, talk to me about uh, more about Pence. So Pence comes in. Why did they choose Pence? It seems like they, you know, Chris Christie seems like a, a better fighter. Well, I mean, they, they actually, after we got through the Saturday Night Live farce of, of the, uh, yeah. Yeah, the of his introduction, um, uh, the the Pence choice makes quite a lot of sense. Uh, first, first of all, he's a Midwestern governor. I mean, Indiana's not in play, right. but lots of other Midwestern states yeah. are. And I think Mike Pence does sort of speak of Midwest sensible yeah. values, kind of a thing. A B, he he's a conservative. He's a bona fide um, uh, conservative. Person both on social issues as well as uh, so that's to get the base, well as, huh? to get the so, conservative yeah. base so in it, play. It was a play to say, "Look, I hear you. I need conservatives to win, and here's my guy." And hmm. so I, I, I think that's it. And then Pence, in contradistinction to the rambling wreck of <laughs> Donald Trump, gave a pretty doggone yeah. good speech. He, he gave a very I mean, he's thoughtful. A great- Candidate, yeah, he seemed genuine. Yeah. He's, it's it's like black and white. You have you have narcissism, and then you have Mike Pence, who's like a kind of a nice, humble, Real decent life guy. guy yeah. and, and, uh, and I think that's mostly how his colleagues viewed him over over time too. So he's well respected. He was in Congress too right? for a long time, mm-hmm. and, and he was very well respected there. He was in leadership. Um, so you know, uh, all in all, it, it could have been played a lot better. But the fact of of Pence was probably pretty good for Trump. Yeah. Uh, Nate Silver, you know Nate from 538, sure, big, big, uh, mm-hmm. big time pollster, pretty much the only one it seemed like they got it right 
in the last two elections. Yeah, he's he he knows how to read the tea leaves. Um, he's he's pretty much said the chance of Hillary Clinton winning uh, is sixty five point four percent in the electoral college, thirty four point six percent for Trump, which is what you've been touting and saying is electorally. He's got, is, a, he's, he's got a big got hole. He's a got big to, hole. He's got to dig out of a big hole. And do you think that? Do you think he's situated the convention to be able to dig? I mean, do you think is Scott Baio going to pull him out of this? Jeb Bush isn't showing up. Uh, the Bushes aren't showing up. The past presidents aren't showing up. McCain's not showing up. Romney, the past nominees aren't showing up. Scott Baio. Well, at one level, it's a it's a different Republican Party. You know, there are a lot of people out there who are good longtime Republicans feel like orphans in this. Yeah. So hence Pence, so to speak. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but um, and and I, you know, I have uh, a, lo- a lot of confidence in, in a lot of these pollsters who, who look at this. But ha- having said that, you look at the state by state polls there. Almost all of them are within the, within the margin of error and some of them. Almost dead heats. Yeah. And then there's a long-running uh, USC poll, which interviews like I think 10,000 people. It's a, it's a lot. And they, they do a panel and uh, – panel meaning they interview a few of them, you know, some percentage of them every night. And mm. they, so it's kind of a rolling average. And, you know, he's ahead by like 3.5% in that Trump nationwide. Is. Yeah. And so there are little glimpses mm. here. Uh, and, the, and the other thing that, that – um, People might be missing is a lot of people don't want to say they want to vote for Trump. You know, as I've, oh yeah, so that might uh, skew it. Yeah, huh? so it's it's no one no wants to come out and say it. Yeah. And I guess really he just needs to win Florida, Ohio, Pennsylvania if he could, Michigan if he could. Yeah, I just can't personally. I just can't see Michigan in play. Although I know yeah. plenty of people do. I mean, the, the whole trade issue, the whole blue collar thing, yeah. could, could, that could work in Michigan. Michigan does, has had Republican governors. Does I think now have a Republican governor? Uh, so it's not impossible. But yeah, if you were to take Florida and Pennsylvania and Ohio and or Virginia, one of those sets, it, he he wins. Yeah. Um, but he he needs a bump here, right? I mean, he needs. This is four days of just. Kumbaya for the Republicans, supposedly. Well, we'll see. You know, uh, <laughs> but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of happy campers. A lot of people aren't happy campers. There's this, I'll, by the way, I'll be there. Are you tonight. going? Yeah, tonight and Are you uh, going? next couple of days. Yeah. Oh, Joe, I'm sorry. Not, well, I am. It's, I'm not. I don't want to yeah. spill my guts on public yeah. radio here, but, yeah, <laughs> but I, I have to go for a particular meeting. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Um, so. Um, there'll be a lot of rah rah a lot of excitement but he the whole thing they keep saying is he needs to unify the party he needs to unify the party but it, it seems like the party should be unified and super excited about their candidate by now you 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 shouldn't a, a big topic of discussion shouldn't be how do we unify the party at this right point right now yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean at this point uh, the only unifying thing the truly genuine only unifying thing is hillary clinton so it's that's so that's it. that, and that's a lot. It's same thing on their side, by the way. Right. The only thing unifying their party is not Trump. So that's true. You've huh? got not Trump and not Hillary, and the question is who who gets the most energy uh, for for voter turnout. Interesting. And, uh, does does having the president on your side help? Well, yes and no. I mean, of course, uh, 
he won two times in yeah. a row, and he's the first Democrat. And in a he has long pretty time. high marks, yeah. right? Favorability wise, right now. Right. So um, <clears throat> he does. On the on the other hand, he is to the left of where uh, politics in general is for uh, for the country. So right. he he is to the left, and Bernie Sanders drove Hillary even further to yeah. the left. So. Yeah, the more you remind people that what you want, you want the third Obama term. For some people, that's really, really important. To be fair, I mean, that, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's how she she can stimulate the base. Uh, on the other hand, uh, a lot of people are not happy with the last eight years. Right. So you know, it's it's uh, it's a two edged sword. But it's you, you, she can't not do it, and he can't not do it either. By the way, he he yeah. he needs the perpetuation of his legacy, and that's it. It's Hillary. Boy, that's a big so legacy. Yeah. If, I mean, if Hillary wins, that looks really good for him. Yeah, yeah. And it, well, it's not just that it looks good. It, it is that it that keeps in place the governmental structures mm-hmm. to keep implementing his legacy. And a lot of Supreme Court justices are going right. to line up behind here, right? I mean, this is Supreme Court. This matters possibly for two or three Supreme Court justices. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I want to hear what you, what do you think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg's latest comments. You know, um, it's a it's a it was a big surprise. I mean, she's actually. I mean, of course, I don't agree with her on very many, right. very many. But but I never thought of her as doing something almost crazy. I like mean, a loose like, cannon. Yeah, it was like wow. You don't like the term loose yeah, cannon? Yeah, just, just, just for the record, cannons here. hate that term. <laughs> You're not a loose cannon. <laughs> but but no. Uh, it, uh, a, it was surprising in and of itself because yeah. there is there is a code of judicial conduct which she clearly she, she knows it. Oh. She knew it. Yeah, yeah. She just couldn't stop herself. And, and but what was also surprising is the uniform response to her, even on the part of the you know the New York Times came out, the Washington Post yeah. came out, and lots of people who would normally be and are Hillary fans or mm. Obama fans are saying no, no, you can't you can't have done that. So I, I think. She did a lot of damage to herself. Could she have done? I mean, could she have done it just politically to move people? Well, I think it was a comment out of frustration okay. and weakness. Uh, you know, sometimes you you shouldn't hit the send button, <laughs> Oops, and, yeah. and I think she just hit the send button a little too, too soon on that on that one. Because yeah, of course, a lot of if you if you were a Supreme Court justice on her side of the aisle. And you are thinking of the prospect of Donald Trump. It's not just even that he's going to appoint, you know, this His new sister. Scalia's. Yeah, he, he's in her mind like not even within the pale, not even yeah. within the uh, realm that you could say that this person. Yeah, I don't agree with him, but I can see, you know, Ted Cruz. She probably would hate Ted Cruz as much, but she wouldn't have the same feeling mm-hmm. because at least he's within this ambit, this, yeah. uh, this framework he's of, safe of politics. Enough. Yeah. Wow. Because, I mean, again, we could have two or three, you know, um, justices placed by this next president, at least, maybe, right? Um, What else? What else do you see politically going on in the GOP convention? And we also got to talk about Hillary. Anything more we need to talk about with the convention? I don't think about the convention, no. I think, uh, I mean, it'll be really, 
I still don't even really know all the speakers. I mean, I heard a few oh. this morning. Uh, I think it turned out to be that Peter Thiel, I don't know if you know uh-huh. him, kind of an entrepreneur, yeah. might end up being the most interesting speaker, yeah, which is right. interesting. That, a guy from completely outside the political how, sphere. Uh, and yet he, he's the headliner. That, this is a place where you make kings, right? This is where This is where you'd normally hold up the future of the party. A lot. Of, President Obama came out of a convention right. speech uh, in our own neck of the woods. Mia Love, a local congresswoman, came out of, of of a speech. And you have plenty of these instances. Ronald Reagan gave one of the best political speeches ever in, mm. in 1976, and four years later, he's the nominee. So there, yeah. I, I just in looking at the whole lineup here, I'm not sure I'm seeing that person, but. We'll, would it, it, we'll see. It'll be interesting. It seems like it would have been a great place and maybe where – and maybe this is why um, What's-His-Name is doing it. Ted Cruz is doing – is speaking – is to go show how vastly different you are. He to be, be the leader. He could be, he could be looking for a Reagan moment. I mean uh-huh. the 76th convention nominated Jerry Ford right. and everyone – who was there said maybe we made a mistake not not going because it was very close that was the last really interesting contested election um so who who knows um i will say in in trump's ramblings uh on saturday he did go out of his way to talk about what a good guy ted cruz was Mm -hmm. what a formidable competitor and i mean he went way out of his way is is that trying to grab conservatives still well, I think it was trying to grab Ted Cruz. Get I, I Ted think he was in. saying, "Come on, Ted, get get inside the tent here." Okay, yeah. interesting. What do you think about Hillary? Uh, who do you think she should go with? Well, it, it's hard to the whole prevailing wisdom on on <laughs> on, on her side on, right. and among her advisors is that it would be uh, Tim Kaine from uh, Virginia. And that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's a state that's important uh, to her. He's a popular senator, popular. Uh, governor so it, it it makes sense not threatening he's not it's definitely not going to overshadow her he just uh, hillary clinton just met with colorado's governor hickenlooper hickenlooper has for a long time wanted to be the vp and he could be but now she's like seven points ahead yeah, in why colorado and i don't think hickenlooper brings her much he's an interesting guy he's yeah. a very interesting governor he's sort of a a little bit of a maverick him, himself but i i I just don't see how. Plus, he's got a great name. Yeah, no, Hickenlooper. I hardly know her. Um, what about? Uh, I guess um, they keep suggesting the senator from Massachusetts. Well, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren. Well, a, fem- I've been, a dual I've been, female I've been ticket. Wrong. I've been wrong all along, but she gets nothing out of Elizabeth Warren. I mean, Elizabeth Warren, for, among other things, could out outshine her uh, on the stage. She's herself a very yeah. good speaker, very very talented speaker, but she's she's Bernie Sanders to the left of her and she can't for, afford for, to go for better or worse she already owns whatever is she owns of that that wing of her party she already owns and I and she's she's gotta have like a like a Tim Kaine, some, yeah. like or Hickenlooper, somebody who says, you know, no, no, there are moderate Democrats to independents who we need to woo. Elizabeth Warren's not going to bring one no. one independent her, right. her direction. Plus she'll be running next cycle. Right. And and why create a rival? I mean right. it's a lot of times the vice presidential pick there's an interesting story in Politico about why 
uh, Obama chose Biden, one of the reasons was he wanted to make sure he never ran for president against him. Ah. Uh, I didn't know that. It was yeah. apparently based on interviews. But um, but yeah, you, you don't want to pick your a person who's going to rival you. And Elizabeth Warren is nothing if not uh, a limelight grabber. Huh. Interesting. Uh, what do you think, Joe? What else do we need to talk about? What, are, what else do we need to pay attention to that's in the news? Well, I mean, just the whole tragedy. There's, I mean, the whole tragedy internationally. Yeah. Just things seem to be spinning out of control at a lot of different levels. Senator Kerry comes out for the administration talking about how ISIS is obviously on the run. That's why they're doing all of this. I mean, what's that about? It, I don't know. It just honestly <laughs> lacks quite a lot of credibility to yeah. me. And besides, it's not just ISIS. There, there's a, a whole Islamic terrorist threat mm-hmm. of which ISIS is the latest, yeah. maybe most obvious manifestation. But but uh, And it seems like a lot of lone kind of wolves, like the Nice, where they just – they can now use a truck. Yeah. Well, there's there's the propensity for radicalization uh, of a lot of a lot of these folks domestically in the, in Europe and in the United States. I don't think these the police shootings though are connected to mm. terrorism per se. I think that's, a little radicalization, that's, that's a, but is, not terrorists. Yeah, it is yeah. definitely a radical reaction, a radical response to a, a perceived yeah. uh, threat, and you know, but. But and I both, both I think, were military. Former military. Former military, guys, yeah, yeah, which yeah, may yeah. show you that maybe we're not taking care of them the way we need to. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know yeah. enough. But, but I, I don't think it was that. I, th- I think they were both uh, racially motivated. Mm. I think they were both, you know, kind of, kind of a. I don't think they were Black Lives Matter per se, but right. they were kind of in that neck of the woods. Right. Oh, man. Well, we appreciate you, Joe. Thanks. Thanks. Have fun. Have fun in Cleveland. Thanks. That ought to be a party. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. uh, Wrap up this first hour of the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the show. Yeah, Joe Cannon, man, what a guy! It's not, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to talk politics today, because it's everywhere. People are everywhere, but um, it's going to take more than just looking good in the national polls remember we we have an electoral college and the college is going to demand uh it's it's going to choose the winner and right now according to um projections from nate silver who again was one of the pollsters that was the most i think successful post pollster the last two cycles hillary clinton has a 65.4 percent chance of winning the election donald trump has a 34.6 percent chance via the um, electoral college. Interestingly, though, those numbers have got nothing but up for Trump in the last uh, week or two, and down for Clinton. Pretty much, I guess, ever since the uh, the Comey announcement from the FBI. So, who knows, folks? It's a crazy, crazy world we're living in. We will take a break. Uh, we got a whole other hour, two hours for you coming up. We're going to be talking about why some people are jerks and why some are just nice. 
some interesting uh, new research that's coming out of, I, I believe, Yale University about uh, what makes you just nice to people you don't even know and what would make you mean to people you don't know. It, maybe it'll give us some insight into the rest of the things going on in the country. Stick with us, helping you find some solutions right here on The Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We're doing what we can on the program, folks, to give you... Uh, the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, no exception. Um, joining us in a few moments, uh, Dave Rand will be here. He's going to talk to us about some research that has come out of, uh, I think it was Yale University, about um, why some people are jerks and yet others are are nice to even strangers. Why are some just inherently a jerk hmm. and others just inherently are nice interesting i think that might go a long way to explaining certain threads and elements of the show great point Hmm. great point why am i for example so nice to people. so as with most of the topics on the show we need it more than others possibly could Mm -hmm. we may learn more from this than anyone else yeah a show for ourselves and you won't believe this but it, it gets into the math it's all just it's just the math. Oh wait, math. So you you are you're going to be nicer. Well, we'll see. Because it serves you mathematically. So you're playing the odds. Unless you've been raised by a jerk, then if you have a lot of jerks around you, you tend to be more of a jerk. Because the game changes when you're surrounded by jerks. Hmm. When you're surrounded by nice people. You want to be nice because statistically overall your odds are better to get more in life if you're nice. People speak of a – like karma, right? Yeah. Negative out, negative in, right. positive out, positive – You know, so that's what they're talking about. Kind of except this is uh, – More This is strategic? James theory. OK. So it's strategic. You're being it's, nice yeah. so people are nice back. And you've evolved this way mm. because evolution would have made it so that you – you evolved to be nicer generally because it statistically served you unless you were raised around jerks. Okay. Then being a jerk, being the jerkiest jerk may be to your benefit. Weird, huh? Huh. We will talk about it with the experts. Dave Rand will be joining us and talking about uh, his research um, as a professor of psychology, economics, and management at Yale University. So we will get to that. Plus, uh, we've got a lot of uh, news and headlines we've got to get through with all of the shootings going on. A lot of people are uh, worried and tense, obviously, around guns and noises around that, you know, that might involve a gun. Even actors now on set are are a little jittery. We'll talk about a story that uh, deals with that in just a minute. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Caitlin, what's up? Thanks, Matt. Police in cities across the U.S. have been ordered to patrol in pairs in the wake of the deadly Baton Rouge attack. 
which left three police dead and three injured. In New York City, police officers have been instructed to, quote, maintain a heightened level of awareness and stay in pairs at all times. Even while on personal breaks, police departments in Chicago, New Orleans, and Boston followed suit and called for two officer patrols at all times. President Obama is calling the Baton Rouge attack an attack on all of us. Obama condemned the killing of three law enforcement officers in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Obama made his remarks from the White House just a week after he eulogized five officers murdered in Dallas by another gunman. Quote, I said that killer would not be the last person who tries to make us turn on each other, nor will today's killer, he said, adding, that's up to us. A gunman entered a Florida hospital through the emergency room early Sunday, went to the third floor, and fatally shot a patient and an employee apparently at random. Police said the gunman was soon tackled by two unarmed security guards as he left. Police said authorities said they have no fa- not found any motive for the shooting. On the eve of the Republican and Democratic conventions, a remarkable 58% in a new ABC News Washington Post poll describes themselves as dissatisfied with a choice between the presumptive nominees. An apparent fallout from the email issue, 72% see Clinton as too willing to bend the rules, but 56% see Trump as biased against women and minorities, and 6 in 10 call him unqualified for office. And lastly, Matt SpaceX successfully launched a critical space station docking port for astronauts early Monday, along with a DNA decoder for high-flying genetic research. As an extra treat, the company brought its leftover first stage booster back to Cape Canaveral Air Force Station for a vertical touchdown. Mm. Only the second such land landing for an orbital mission, which will allow the booster to fly again to save launch costs. So the booster. there you go. It's kind of cool. That's amazing. The booster went up, did its business. Got the load up there and then came back and landed vertically. <laughs> Instead of dumping it in the ocean. That is pretty cool. Technology. By the way, a private company. is Was that a private mm-hmm. company that did that? SpaceX. SpaceX. That sounds like a really – that sounds like the, the villain company of kind like of an evil – You the, know, There's a James Bond movie where uh-huh. they go up and uh, – Nerd alert! They send a rocket up and start uh, capturing the space capsule from the U.S. and space capsule from Russia. Yeah. And, you know, there's a evil organization that's trying to take over the world by commanding space. Wow. So you can watch that movie. Thank you for the journey through yeah. space crazies. What, what were we calling them? Um, space capsules. Speaking of space capsules... Um, I bet you this has nothing to do with space capsules. Go uh, ahead. Apparently, there are some things that have been banned from the Republican convention. Including space capsules. You are not allowed to ring a space capsule or to vertically land a rocket yeah. at the it, convention. It's a space issue. It's a space they don't have. They issue. don't have a parking space for the rocket. So go on. You, uh, there's a story that came out on CNN that things like uh, slingshots, nope, can't not, ava- not bringing them. If you are going to the convention, Joe was going – don't bring a slingshot. Don't bring a sledgehammer. Okay. Don't bring a rocket. Duh. True. Unless it's vertical landing, because that's super cool. No. Don't bring tennis balls. Mm. You can't. You can't be throwing tennis balls around. What is this? T-shirt cannons. No t-shirt cannons. Mm, man, no fun. Uh, don't bring locks. You can't bring like a like a, a lock, padlock. A padlock. Okay. Don't bring uh, laser pointers. Mm. Those are dangerous. I'm going to bet they're going to say don't bring a drone. That's probably a given. Especially don't bring an armed drone. Yeah. Hello, duh. But you can bring a gun. There was a guy out there just outside the convention hall yesterday. He had a, uh, as they call it, a military-style rifle oh, slung over his shoulder. And he walked out and he goes, I'm a good guy with a gun. I'm here to let you know 
that not everyone that carries one of these guns Hold is a bad it. guy. But do you have a padlock? <laughs> yes, I do. And you, in light of recent events, cops are kind of antsy. Yeah. The uh, police union president of uh, the Cleveland area called on the governor to change the rules for the weekend, basically, for this week, sure. to limit the open carry. And the go- the governor, probably rightly so, said, I can't just arbitrarily say this law's in and this law's out for this yeah, week. You, you can't. can't do it that. It doesn't work that way. But you. But it's interesting. You can't use it. You can, you can have your gun outside of the secure area. Yeah. But inside the secure area... The Secret Service is involved. You can't have your gun. No gun because of presidential candidates. Except Donald says you're safer if mm-hmm. everyone in the room had a gun. So he, he wants to eliminate all safe zones. It, it might be. Well, I, does he still? Yeah. He, or he's, just, he said he told it to the NRA well, as think, he stood in a safe zone. Yeah. Because at the NRA convention, they couldn't have guns in the building. So he was in one as yeah. he was saying this. That doesn't seem quite right. No. Seems like if if you're going to say ban a safe zone, you have to be out of a safe zone. Be helpful. For your I'm message. not sure it would be all that bad if if there were fifty, one hundred, two thousand guns protecting Mr. Trump. Well, there are. The Secret Service have yeah. them all. <laughs> but don't bring tennis balls and don't bring a padlock. This this a lot of people are a little jumpy because of the gun thing, and they should be right. This is I mean these shootings and then. The crazy thing in Nice, France. I mean, mm-hmm. it's scary. But a, a man recently was charged with inducing panic after pulling a prop gun out during a movie audition. So he's going into audition for a movie, right? And he brought he brought his own prop gun. Well, he was he's more method. He's a method actor. He needs the prop, or it doesn't yeah. work. Well, yeah. And this guy wanted the job bad, so he he played it up. So officers were called to a second floor of the building uh, when they discovered that a movie audition was being held. One of the actors, trying for a part using method acting, brought a blank gun unbeknownst to anybody else on the production set. Hmm. Okay. So it looks like a gun. It sounds like a gun. It even probably smells like a gun. It's a gun. It just shoots blanks. In the minds of everyone in that room, yes. But a, a blank gun is a gun, isn't it? Shooting blanks. Yeah. So if you put a real bullet in there, anyways. I'm not sure how that know. works, yeah. But apparently he just started shooting blank rounds and everyone thought it was a real gun. And they they freaked out. And uh, it got ugly. He, he, he just got overly enthusiastic about trying to get a part. It's hard to get a job today. So if you're going to do it, you got to sell it. You got to go the extra mile. We have a few other things. So if you're out there and you're an actor – by the way, I was just in the Hollywood area too, and I had this. Little consultant I, I went on the to side. a wedding, okay. and there were a lot of actors there. Of course, it was very. I don't know a wedding you go to that there aren't actors. But well, aren't. these were like actors from Hollywood wannabe actors, mm. and great acting though. They were like they looked like they were having a lot of fun. <laughs> I couldn't tell if they were acting or if it was real. Some other things you may not want to bring. Um, by the way, to to an audition. Because you'll get in trouble. Yes. If you do, um, or probably even to the, the the Republican convention. One is uh, a flamethrower. Right. I, I, I can see that. I That'd can be... hardly hear you over the flamethrower. The backpack with the you know the canisters yeah. and the hose. But if you the... if you want to win a part in a war movie, don't bring don't bring don't bring a flamethrower. Right. Because. The other actors, they're going to be like, oh, man, this guy's like totally overkilling it. Yeah. 
method or not. You, you could seem too eager. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, want, you want to keep some mystery to yeah. your Always keep enthusiasm. Mystery. By the way, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure you can't bring a flamethrower to the convention. That would probably be out, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, you're in, if you're looking for a horror movie, don't bring a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. I, it makes sense. You don't, you don't need to – you could just pretend to have a chainsaw. It's kind of cliche. In your audition. It's kind of a cliche thing yeah. to bring. Yeah, the minute, especially if if you are going to bring a chainsaw to your audition, make sure you've got it started. Maybe a because you don't want to like pull on that right. and not have it start. You, yeah, that would That's be embarrassing. You could dislocate your arm. That'd be oh, that maybe just mix it up a hedge trimmer. Yeah. yeah, you know what else I wouldn't bring if you're trying out for Star Wars part, mm. which by the way, apparently it's been ruined by the actress who's Princess Leia. What's her name? Princess Leia. She what'd she do? She she slipped up and said she spoiled something. She's there's a spoiler alert. She Ugh. slipped up and said that she mentioned someone's funeral. Oh, that apparently is in the next in the next movie. So uh, someone's going to die. So I'm oh. not going to I'm not going to do it. But if you are trying out for a Star Wars part, don't bring one of these. Leave your Wookiee home. Yeah. If you got a Wookiee, don't bring him. Hmm. Unless you want to be a Wookiee. Right. Then you may need to be able to – But then it's not a real Wookiee. You're just acting like a Wookiee. Right. So got to be careful. People are tense. It's a uh, it's kind of scary time, isn't it? What do you do? What just do you do? walk up to the convention. Here's my Wookiee. Oh, excuse me. I'll guarantee there's a Wookiee. There. I would like to register my Wookiee. <laughs> Man, have you ever tried to get your Wookiee shots? No. Ah. Uh, He'll tear your arms off. Yeah. That's tough. We put a wook, our Wookiee in the back seat, and we're like, and he's like, where are we going? I don't know how they talk. And um, Not like that. We, we couldn't even tell him we were going to get his shots. No, you have to, Ugh. we're going to go get a treat, which is true because after. <laughs> after you're going to get a big treat. You don't want to lie. No. Never lie to a Wookiee. Yeah. I think I saw that. That's a, that's a meme. I'll come back to get you. Never. Never lie to a Wookiee. Ah, we need – you know what? If we all had a Wookiee, we'd probably have a safer place though. I'm telling you. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, we are going to be getting into the topic of uh, why some people are jerks and others are nice. Why are some just naturally nice to strangers and some just jerks? We got the researcher straight out of Yale. Yale University's Dave Rand will be joining us. Uh, Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, have you ever had a run-in with someone at the grocery store or at work? And after a confrontation, you ask yourself, wow, what made them so angry? Where, why, are they all, why are they always so mean? Why are they such a jerk? Have you ever thought that? Well, a study at Yale University by Dave Rand and Adam uh, Bear answers the question, why some people are jerks, yet others are nice even to strangers. And uh, we just happened to have Dr. Dave Rand on the phone with us today to talk about this study. Dave Rand is an associate professor of psychology, economics, and management at Yale University and is here to to walk us through his research. Dr. Rand, thank you so much for being with us today. 
it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This is an interesting study. Um, we've because this is kind of a, a blend. It sounds like between. Um, a, a few different theories, kind of, kind of marketing or, or economic theories, right? Is that, is that because this is based in the numbers? This isn't just social science, right? Right. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's game theory, basically. Game theory, the yeah. Game theory is um, social interactions, which is what we like to study, are very complicated, um, which is a lot of what makes them interesting, but also it makes it hard to study them. And so the idea of game theory is to take these complicated social interactions and distill them down to the sort of core components of, uh, you know, what, what's the important essence of the interaction, and then describe them with numbers. And then once you have it uh, sort of described that way, you can do sort of mathematical analyses, which is part of what we did, and you can also do laboratory experiments where you have people actually make decisions about how to split money up uh, between themselves and others in ways that capture these core ideas from these games. So, because in games theory, um, it really is, we're doing things naturally in our social life, in our relationships, just as I interact with somebody at a store. I'm going to do kind of what comes naturally to me. But what I guess you're finding out, though, is there, there is kind of a games theory approach to why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, so, so it's game theory gives us a language to, uh, to think about uh, these kinds of social interactions, like what happens at the grocery store, um, in, a, in a clear way. So, for example, the game that is the most famous game of game theory, and that's sort of central to all the stuff that I do, is called The Prisoner's Dilemma. Um, and that's for sort of historical reasons. I don't care so much about the actual story of the prisoners in the dilemma, but the idea of this game is that two people simultaneously make a choice. They can either be selfish and keep some money for themselves, or they can be generous and give it to the other person, in which case it'll get doubled. Hmm. And so this very simple game, just each person choosing, are they going to cooperate with the other person and, and you know give them the money, or are they going to be uh, selfish and keep it for themselves? That captures the core idea of, so much of our social interactions where there's the tension between what's best for you individually and what's best for everyone as a whole. Because if both people, uh, you know, say people, they have $10. So if they keep the $10, they get $10. If they cooperate, then they give it up and the other person gets $20. Hmm. What happens so if what they both mean? fight trying to keep it? Right. They so get the, less. The, 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 yeah, exactly. That's right. the sort of beauty of the prisoner's dilemma is that if both people are selfish, they each just keep their $10 and only get $10. Hmm. Whereas if both people are cooperative, they both give up their $10 to give the other person 20 and that means they both earn 20 hmm. So when yeah. both people cooperate, they do better when both than when both people are selfish. So how does this get into the fact that I'm walking down the street and some people are jerks and some people are nice? Right. Well, so the issue is that although um, both people are better off when they cooperate than if both are selfish, no matter what the other person does, you always do better by being selfish because, say, they give you their $20. Say they give you, know, they give you their money, so you get $20 from them. Uh, if you're also cooperative, then you only get that $20. But if you're selfish, you get the $20 from the other person plus the $10 that you decided to keep. And so... It has this tension where 
you're collectively better off if both people cooperate, but no matter what the other person does, you always earn more by being selfish. Mm. And so the question is, what determines who are the people that are willing to cooperate and who are the people that act selfishly? And this maps on to all kinds of real-world situations where, you know, uh, if everyone behaves well, it makes everyone better off, but there's always a temptation to, uh, you know, to be selfish or free ride on the good behavior of others. Yeah. Um, And so the idea in our study was that, um, so in, in in a situation where there are no future consequences, like interactions with strangers, then it's the case that being selfish, you know, is what pays off. Right. But, uh, in the context of uh, ongoing relationships, sort of what we would call repeated interactions, then it actually can be in your long-run self-interest to be cooperative. Because if I'm a jerk to you today, that means that you are more likely to be a jerk to me tomorrow. Or vice versa, if I'm willing to cooperate with you today, you'll be more likely to cooperate with me tomorrow. So in, in our long-term relationships, it makes more sense... And in games theory, to cooperate, cooperate, cooperate. If it's a short-term, one-time event, we're more—I guess—we're more likely, or it's it, that doesn't mean we're more likely to do it that way, right? We could still cooperate even in short-term, one-off events. Right. So this is a difference between uh, game theory and the experiments, where game theory is sort of saying what you should do if you are trying to maximize your payoff, basically. And then we have the experiments to see what people actually do. Hmm. So what game theory says, you know, sort of quote-unquote makes sense, is to cooperate in repeated interactions, but to be selfish in, you know, short-term, one-off kind of interactions. So, yeah, what... People play experiments. When you have people actually do these kinds of games in in the labs, they come into the lab and we give them money and they choose whether to keep it or give it to the other person. What you see is that people are much more cooperative in repeated interactions than in one-off interactions. And I think if you think about real life, you'll see the same thing there where it's like um, you... I mean, also, often people are helpful to strangers, but like the, uh, the, the, the push to be helpful and cooperative with your friends and your coworkers is much stronger. Hmm. That's, and, and that's bearing out then. So, um, I guess it's, it's kind of natural for us to try to be cooperative, but if it's going to be a long-term relationship, we are much more likely to, to focus that way. Right. And so a lot of the contribution of our uh, our sort of recent work on this is to is to try to understand from a sort of game theory perspective why it is that we care about helping strangers. That is, it's clear that, like you said, people will often help strangers and it really feels right. Like it feels wrong to take advantage of people, even if there's not going to be any future consequences. Right. Like you're a good person. It just feels wrong. And so we want to understand, like, where does that come from? And the argument that I have been making, and I'll tell you about several different kinds of evidence that support it. But my argument is that because most of our interactions are long term, repeated interactions where it's a good idea, that is where it actually is in your self-interest to cooperate because it's typically in your self-interest to cooperate, 
we wind up internalizing cooperating as our sort of basic default way of being. Hmm. And so when we find ourselves in a one-shot anonymous situation or one of these sort of short-term uh, things, you know, some helping some stranger in the, in the grocery store, our first impulse is to feel like, oh, we should cooperate because cooperating is what usually works well. Yeah. But if you stop and think about it, you might realize, oh, actually, this is a situation that's different from normal. Here, there's not going to actually be any future benefit to helping this person. And eh, maybe I'll just go ahead and not do it. Oh, interesting. And we have a ton of experiments. I actually have a paper out today in psychological science, um, which is a meta-analysis of 51 experiments and more than 15,000 subjects from all over the world um, showing that uh, in these experiments where we give money and it's just sort of one-shot situation, you have money, you can either keep it or you can uh, give some up to cooperate with an anonymous stranger, people's first response is to cooperate. But if you make them think more carefully about it, um, they actually wind up getting more selfish. It's interesting because um, we're not thinking about it. We're doing it naturally. So sometimes – but I guess in the end, I'm always – I'm not interacting – okay, this is going to sound weird. I'm not always interacting with someone else, but sometimes I'm interacting with me, my own psyche, right? My own sense mm-hmm. of what's right or wrong. So – but doing games theory would make me actually think, should I be charitable here? It's a one-off event. No, I, it wouldn't advantage me. But also simultaneously, I could see, um, what about a situation where it's a salesman at your door? It's a one-off event. I'm never going to see this guy again. I should say no, but because I'm a nice guy, I might try yeah. to cooperate with him. It's a great example, right? Where like you should just say no. Just say no. It feels bad to, because it feels like, you're used to interacting with people where it would be rude to say, no, go away. Right. Like, you let the guy in. Um, and that's exactly the kind of situation that I'm thinking about here where you have this impulse to be nice, uh, even in situations where it, you know, sort of doesn't make sense. Right. It's, it's almost, um, yeah, it's to your, yeah, it's to your deficit. Right. Huh. Right, exactly. Um, and uh, I think that a lot of people... Uh, if you ask people, is your first impulse to be uh, cooperative and then thinking carefully about things makes you selfish, or is it that your first impulse is to be selfish and the way you get yourself to do the right thing is by thinking carefully about it, most people think it's the latter. Mm. think that we're sort of like selfish animals, basically, and then we use thinking and our sort of rationality to make ourselves do the right thing. Um, But our data very clearly uh, suggests that it's the opposite, which is, again, also what you would think about from this kind of uh, theoretical or uh, perspective that says, you know, that is, if you want to think about one of these questions, I think oh, that is what is, our, um, what is our default? Is our default to be cooperative or is our default to be selfish? Uh, people have just some kind of mm. general impressions, but the way I try and approach this is to think about, like, what are defaults, what are our intuitions, like where do they come from, and what would it make sense for them to be? Yeah. Um, and the idea from a lot of cognitive psychology is that the things that we uh, 
adopt as our default responses. And this isn't sort of consciously thinking about it, but through some kind of intuitive processes. The thing that we develop as our sort of default intuitions, they're like rules of thumb for behaviors that typically work well. And when you think about it that way, then it makes a lot of sense that cooperating should be a rule of thumb uh, because that's what typically works well. And, and um, boy, this is interesting because it also, I guess, this could get into your morality, right? This could get into – this is into all of your decision-making. Yeah, for sure. And so this my sort of argument is that uh, this is where a lot of morality comes from, that the way you sort of develop the, the, the sort of basic underlying features of your morality – are these kinds of rules of thumb for what typically works well in in social interaction. Like we think about the golden rule. Yeah. Right? The golden rule, if if you're talking about a stranger, that seems very nice and altruistic. But if you're talking about your ongoing relationships, the golden rule is just good sense. Yeah. But but a stranger um, but see, I guess that's where uh this is because there then there's this battle with my mind thinking, well, I, I need to be nice. I mean, I guess you can be nice and turn away a salesman. So it's not an either or. But uh, that we're, this might be then why we get taken advantage of. This is this is the rationale why we – some people constantly get taken advantage of. It's true. That the, right. So so Because so they don't distinguish. Thumb, right. Exactly. It's a really good point. That the, so that the idea with the rule of thumb – is that having a rule of thumb to cooperate can be a really good, useful thing mm-hmm. because uh, it usually gets you to the right answer and it sort of saves time and cognitive effort. You don't have to clearly stop and think and calculate through every time what makes sense. You just kind of go with your rule of thumb. But if you're too willing to go with the rule of thumb, then you can get exploited. And so one of the things that we get out of the game theory model is – uh, you can sort of do this calculation that says, yes, there is an optimal strategy which has a, a rule of thumb to cooperate, and then it uses that rule of thumb in situations where the potential costs are low. But if you're in a situation where there's a, a big potential cost of cooperating when you shouldn't, then you're sort of more likely to stop and think about it and be like, hey, maybe I should be careful here. Yeah. Which yeah, which would lead you. I mean, so it's it's just differentiating long term versus short term, and and I guess your goals, right? I mean, my I don't want to give everything away long term for a short term gain. Hmm. Fascinating. Right. You know, Dave. Let's right. let's take a break. Sorry to interrupt you. Let's take a break, oh, and, and and we'll come back. And I and I want you to continue to teach us about um, kind of the research behind it. Also, what sets us up? Are some of us are some of us set up to just automatically not go cooperative, just to be the jerk, always compete? And is, does any of that have to do with how we were raised? Stick with us, folks. We're going to continue the discussion with uh, Professor uh, Dave Rand from Yale University, giving us the latest and greatest on some of his research about uh, why some are jerks and why some are nice. Stick with us. We'll be right back. everybody to the Matt Townsend show uh, your coach here your guide on the side and what we're trying to do today 
We're working with Dr. Dave Rand, uh, who is a professor, associate professor of psychology, economics, and management at Yale University. He's also a member of the Yale Institute for Network Science and the Institution for Social and Policy Studies. And he's been walking us through one of his latest studies about why some people are jerks, yet others are nice, even to strangers. And apparently it comes down to, you know, our, the, our kind of our operating paradigm, the way we think. Do we, do, are we a cooperative person that thinks by cooperating it's, it's going to be more advantageous to us? Do we think that we need to compete in every situation? Uh, Dr. Rand, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much. This is um, to me. This is so fascinating because we don't we don't think about it. You know, long term, short term, cognitively, it doesn't seem like we just kind of we just kind of wing it with people. Is that is that kind of how we end up playing the game in game theory? I mean, in your theories, I mean, in your process, you're you actually are having them play a game, but in real life, we're just winging it. Right, and and I think that uh, a, much of the time people are just winging it. Sometimes I think people do stop and think about it, and and what our work suggests is that for most people, when you just wing it, you go with the thing that typically works well, mm. and for most people, uh, that's cooperating. Yeah. You might then stop and think about it and realize, oh, actually, here's a situation where, you know, like with your salesman example, like you might feel when a salesman comes and knocks on your door, you feel an impulse to like let the person in and then have a whole conversation with them or when a telemarketer calls you on the phone. But then you might sort of stop and think and override that and be like, no, I don't want to waste my time. Honestly, I don't want to waste their time either if I know I'm not going to buy it and just say, sorry, thanks. Yeah. Um, and But, but the, the key or a key part of this idea that what your sort of default way of being is is determined by what typically works well for you is that it's going to vary across people. I think for a lot of people, uh, I would argue for most people, at least living in the U.S., it is typically in your long run interest to be cooperative. And so it makes sure that so it makes sense that when you wing it, you wind up cooperating. But if you uh, say live in a uh, an area where there's not good rule of law, think there's a lot of crime, things aren't safe, you feel like you can't trust strangers, mm. then it might not be the case that it's a good idea in general to be cooperating. Or if you work in a company that really re- uh, rewards uh, backstabbing and sort of ladder climbing and doesn't create, sort of foster a culture of cooperativeness, then you might wind up uh, sort of switching your default to be selfishness interesting rewarded and selfishness could just be self-preservation right 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 exactly because maybe that's what we're seeing with with some of the things going on just culturally in the united states with certain populations that don't feel safe to be pulled over that don't feel safe to you know be questioned by police i mean it might just create a tension of not not wanting to cooperate just to self-protect Right. I mean, I think that in a situation where most of your interactions with a particular type of person are interactions uh, where uh, basically you feel wronged, then it makes a lot of sense that you're going to develop a baseline way of being of saying, I don't trust that type of person. I don't want to interact with them. And then it may be that you can use sort of 
what we call it's deliberation, sort of careful thinking to, in certain situations, be like, no, actually, here, let me override that. This is a particular, you know, even though in general I don't trust a certain kind of person, this particular person I do or this particular situation I do hmm. or something like that. But it makes sense that your sort of default responses are going to reflect your prior your past experience yeah how how and where, i mean that's interesting how you brought it up culturally yeah if you've been lived in a country where you're constantly fighting for every thing that you need and you can't trust anybody then man it would be hard to move into a cooperative system right does right. so i guess that too depends to how we're raised right are some people raised more um, just more to be less cooperative. Um, yeah, so I it, I don't have uh, I don't have that much uh, real sort of empirical evidence of this, but I certainly what my theory would argue is that the way that you're raised is quite important for this, and we're currently running experiments with kids um, in a bunch of different countries to look at how uh, the sort of cooperativeness changes over the course of being raised as a function of, you know, the, the sort of culture that you're growing up in. Hmm. Um, but I, I definitely think that the, in the same way that, uh, for example, a company that rewards selfishness uh, will sort of lead to people developing that as their default, if your parents are always teaching you, don't be a sucker like, don't help other people. you got to look out for yourself. It makes Man. a lot of sense that that's the thing that you're going to wind up internalizing yeah. as, your, as your default. It's also interesting because this is a dynamic that's going on real time. So I'm talking to somebody, and I might be starting in a cooperative mentality, but as soon as I sense selfishness, I might then switch to selfish, and then this thing can deteriorate quickly. Right, totally. And that's actually something that makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense from the perspective of this, uh, you know, sort of automatic response is the good rule of thumb, because it's not that cooperating period is that say in, in the context of long term interactions, long long term relationships, it's not that just always cooperating is the, is the right strategy, because you also don't want to get exploited. The sort of best strategy is to start by cooperating and then cooperate if the other person is being cooperative. But if the other person is sufficiently selfish, then you should also switch to not helping them hmm. um, to protect yourself. And so there's also a lot of evidence that in the same way that cooperating in these sort of one-off interactions is intuitive, it's also intuitive if someone does a bad thing to you, like if someone exploits you, it's intuitive to retaliate. Yeah. It seems like... That that's where there could be really egregious uh, pe- um, situations where I where I'm not adapting to what's going on. I stay cooperative when they continually keep aggressively, selfishly dominating. Then I then I then I'm setting myself up to become a victim. Right. Hmm. Right. You got to protect yourself. Yeah. Now it's interesting, and um, and then. But, for example, I just – this is crazy timing, but I just watched Gandhi, the movie. I don't know if you've seen it uh-huh. from many, many moons ago. But one of the things that was so telling to me is his peaceful resistance uh, going head-to-head with a with a selfish 
person. He said, they said, so what happens if we peacefully resist and they hurt us? Then he said, well, peacefully resist still. And you'll take a few lumps, but after you take a few lumps, you might, you would probably convert the average person into realizing they ought to cooperate. But it, it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Because it's like, how many punches do I need to take before this guy's going to start cooperating? And they may right. not. I, yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about nonviolence in my lab, and I think it's a really interesting uh, thing because the, as you phrase it there, which is exactly right, it's, it's a strategy. Yeah. It's not, it's not something so much where it's like, do this on basic moral principles, but rather it's like this is an effective way of in the long run changing other people's behavior. And I think that part of it maybe is that it's so surprising. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it sort of really challenges your basic ways of thinking, look, I just keep hitting this person and they're not doing anything. Like, what's going on? And it sort of shakes people up more than it would be if you did the expected thing of mm. retaliating. Right. And I guess that, that one of the things he would hope that that would do would shift, you know, shift the the, the cultures and the societies that see that as unjust. But yeah. if you if you're in a culture that doesn't see that as unjust, just keep taking it from them. <laughs> just keep taking it. Then this never would have shifted. But there were cultures, and I guess that's what Gandhi knew: is there are cultures of goodness that are just that that are going to operate out of cooperation more than self interest. Hmm. Yep, and I think a lot of a lot of our work is aimed at understanding how can you organize things in a way to promote the cultures of cooperation. I love um, it. The context that I most often think of it is in terms of um, companies and sort of organizations because there it's easier for you know a relatively small number of people to change the way things are set up and you know build a. Yeah. culture within an organization, but the same principles apply at the country level. Um, you know, it's just harder to make changes there. No, it totally is. Well, uh, Dr. David Rand, we appreciate you and can't uh, recommend more. Everybody go check out the website, davidrand-cooperation.com, davidrand-cooperation.com. Uh, fascinating site there. Also, g- just great visuals to help you understand what we've been talking about. And we appreciate you, Dr. Rand. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, see the good in the world. We'll be right back. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's crazy. Every once in a while, I think we all just need to go take a break and go. I don't know why I did it, but it just, I guess it came natural. But I went and when I was off on my vacation, I went to uh, the Reagan Museum, Presidential Museum. I also, for some odd reason, chose of all movies to watch a three and a half hour movie of Gandhi. I watched and well, it took like a day because <laughs> I kept being interrupted. But anyway, what I learned, um, we we've we this is your life, folks. This is your world. This is this is up to you. And um, well, like we just learned from Doctor Rand, 
we all have techniques. We all have, you know, policies. We all have paradigms that we're going to govern our, govern our lives by. And, and you have to decide what yours is. And it doesn't have to be absolute. I mean, it doesn't have to be that you are always um, charitable to the person kicking you in the teeth, but it, you might need to be charitable to yourself. So the principle, I think, can work. It just may not work the way you think it's going to work. Um, so be open and willing to to look deeper into your principles, into your beliefs. One of the reasons I, I was um, taken aback is because to see the parallel of a Ronald Reagan who kind of knew that he deep in his heart had this belief that he was going to impact people and he wanted to impact people um, for good. And then combine that with a Gandhi who had this principle-centered way of, of seeing life that no matter what, you're going to do the hard thing and you just do it. And you don't do it because it's easy. You do it because it's hard and you do it. Um, I also at the at the Ronald Reagan Museum, they, they had a, a, a show going on that was from the Vatican as well. And I saw a wonderful uh, painting of Mother Teresa and Pope John Paul that I thought, oh, what a beautiful setting that was. And, and this, this painting was incredible. But here's a quote that, again, goes back to Mother Teresa. Um, and it's just a basic – it's a basic concept. People are often unreasonable, irrational, self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity, happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. So let's just do what's right and just do it because it's right and trust the principles to deliver the results we need. Do it anyway. It's always between you and God anyway, right? We'll take a break. Come back. We've got a whole other hour. We're going to be talking parenting. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've got a great final hour for you today. We will be talking um, with uh, Heather Johnson about your teens, learning to connect to your teens, which is so hard to do when they're walking around like the walking dead trying to kill pokies, Pokemon. You don't kill them, you capture them. Trying to capture Pokemon. Come on! I had someone accuse me of killing Pokemon. You don't do that. You're capturing them. In fact, you had a great picture with Pikachu in your back seat. Yes. But you didn't catch them. I encountered Pikachu out here by a museum just out in the parking lot from their studios here, and Pikachu got away. Because when I pulled up, you were chasing. You were all over the place. 
He plays us like we know what this and is. And why do you play? Is this the song it's the you theme play? Song I know. To is the Pokemon this what you show. play when you're running around? No. Capturing Pokey. Game actually has its own music. I've turned that off. It's really? kind of annoying. This is this is riveting music. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. My um, I'm driving in today, and on the billboard, the kind of the traffic billboard that like is telling you how traffic's flowing. Yes. It says drive now, catch Pokemon later. Or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. I thought Well okay. there you go. The video board told me. <laughs> but something's going on. We gotta talk about it. And okay. we'll we'll work with Heather and find out how to connect to these kids. We're also going to go in depth on Pokemon. We got five stories that are Pokey related. Including one out of Russia, where now they're they are um, basically accepting these e games. What do they call them? The e sports. E sports, yes. E sports equal real sports. So we'll get to that. There's questions there. Well, I mean, I saw some guys getting some serious workout running after Pokey. Well, that wouldn't be an e sport. An e sport is you sit at a desk and play a game. Oh. We'll talk about it. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Uh, But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's going on around the rest of the country? Thanks, Matt. Donald Trump is making a splash again in the news. In an interview with The Washington Post published late Sunday, Trump explained he can make decisions, quote, with very little knowledge other than the knowledge I already had, plus the words common sense, because I have a lot of common sense and I have a lot of business ability. The Republican National Convention kicks off in Cleveland today with the initial theme of, quote, make America safe again, a phrase that is especially charged in the open carry state following the recent shootings of police officers in both Baton Rouge and Dallas. Authorities have established a 1.7 square mile event zone around the Republican Convention where items like tennis balls and wooden posts are forbidden, but firearms, according to state law, are allowed. Addressing Make America Safe Again on Monday, many speakers, including Melania Trump, will be there. Donald Trump is not scheduled to speak at the Republican National Convention today. An investigation into the Nice truck attack has not yet yielded any links to terror networks, France's interior minister said on Monday as the nation marked a moment of silence for victims of the tragedy. Mohamed Boulil killed 84 people and wounded over 200 others when he plowed a white refrigerator truck down the packed Nice beachfront on Thursday night. Family and friends of Boulil have described him as a violent and troubled individual, but not a jihadist. But French officials have described the bloodbath as a terror attack, with authorities saying over the weekend that it appeared Boulil had been recently radicalized. However, links between the attacker and any terror networks for now have not been established by the investigation. And lastly, Matt, we don't have a ton of happy news going on, but Hmm. after an epic duel at the British Open, Heinrich Stenson has claimed his first major title. Stenson shot an 8-under 63 on Sunday to beat Phil Mickelson by three strokes, becoming the first man from Sweden to win one of golf's biggest events. So that's kind of exciting. Swedish. Something different and new to talk about. So there you have it. It's way too cold in Sweden to golf. (laughs) Well, there's your headlines for the day, Matt. Thank you, Caitlin. They must have summers. Hmm. Ben, you went to Germany. Yeah, pretty far from Talk to Sweden. me about Sweden. My ancestors are actually from Sweden. Okay, from enough little said. Island enough called said. Gotland. Pardon? Gotland. I you mean Scotland? Gotland. Gotland. Yeah. Making stuff up again. He always makes stuff up. It's always unverifi- unverifiable yeah. that he spe- the things he speaks right. of. So it's, well, and like, like anyone's ever heard of that island, right. like, how do we even know that's a real island? And like you said, he just mispronounced Scotland. So. Right. I yep. mean, we've heard of like the Caribbean. It's right off the coast of Stockholm. Yeah. We don't have a map. No. How are we supposed to know this is true? Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to take my word for it, Terry. <sighs> That's the problem. 
So um, here's the deal. Hmm. Pokemon Go is out of control. It just opened up in 26 more countries over the weekend. Did it really? And promptly all the servers crashed. As they should. So I was unable to actually play for quite a while. So you play this game. I saw a Snapchat story this morning. There are tours through Central Park in New York City where they will take you around and point out different areas of interest where specific Pokemon seem to kind of gather. Wow. And so they'll save over here more of your bird type Pokemon. Would We've you like seen a, bird a few type over Pokemon? here. And uh, the video was funny because this guy was kind of recording as they're running around. He goes, This is great. The servers have been down for 45 minutes. We've paid for this tour. And now they're just telling us about the trees. <laughs> There's nothing else to talk <laughs> well, about. Well, did you hear this so, one? On, Craigslist, um, Craigslist now offers its users a Pokemon Go chauffeur service. Yeah. Where savvy Craigslist users can can go online, find their Pokemon Go chauffeur and escort, mm-hmm. and they will. Which is, by the way, Craigslist and escort yeah, two no, words that don't go together. Well, they actually do, but they problematic. shouldn't. But now you can have somebody take you in there. I guess they'll chauffeur you around while you jump out on a freeway to catch a Pokemon. Well, probably not a freeway. They're more in like parks and universities and walking areas. Except. They're shutting down cities. At times. Yeah. Hillary it's, Clinton is having a polka event in Ohio, a Pokemon event. I think I think Hillary's polka is different than not, Pokemon. Not a polka. It's Pokemon. Are they, you serious? Her staffers went I think they I, I think they already did it. They went to a park. It had several polka stops. You Holy toss out some lu- you toss out some lures and then people come in and as they're they're coming in to uh play the game they register to vote it's a pokey trap it's a pokey trap police in new hampshire put out on their facebook page that a uh, rare pokemon character a chizard pardon is that right is it charizard charizard is that that's what the it only is? one i know not even sure i don't know if that's it says it. they uh they, they they saw it in their booking area of police headquarters Ooh. And then they invited uh, – they looked up online to find a bunch of people that are on their 500 list of fu- – list of 500 fugitives in the area and invited them all down to catch the Pokemon. It's a trap. Exactly. It's a total trap. They said they haven't had any takers as of yet, but uh, they're trying. And then Hillary jumps out of the bushes, vote for me. And in Orlando, police say a Florida man tried to uh, – fired at two teenagers playing Pokemon Go – Early on Saturday morning, believing they were looking for a house to rob, no one was injured. The Orlando Sentinel reports that uh, in addition to the presence of a strange car in the neighborhood, then teenagers walking around at 1.30 in the morning on a street, the 37-year-old shooter believed they were criminals when one said to the other, did you get anything? Did you get (laughs) Did you get anything? That's when the man stepped out of. Uh, uh, that's when the man stepped in front of their car, brandishing his weapon, and ordered them not to move. The car sped off, and the man fired at it, believing oh. that they tried to hit him. Okay, see, this is where it's <laughs> going to get crazy. I was playing tennis, watched kids walking all over the place like zombies. These were children of the corn. <laughs> These were walking dead people. Yes, this is Walking Dead. They're zombies. And I had no idea that's what they were doing, but they just go back and forth in the park. I'm like, there must be like a drug deal going down here. There must be a Hillary Clinton voter registration activity going on here. My wife and I went to an event over the weekend. 
Yeah. As we left the event, we're walking back to our car. I caught 13 Pokemon. Yeah, but you ticked your wife off. She was a little angry. Took a while to get back to the car. You were pokey lollygagging. And I, 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 I pointed out that we don't... You don't really allow me, this is speaking to my wife, you don't yeah. allow me to go out and just sort of wander through parks and different areas like that. So I need to take advantage of the H- situation. How did that go down? Yeah, she wasn't really happy. Did, did, you it's okay. did you catch any worthwhile Pokemon? Two. Two? Two, really? uh, two of note. Which which kinds? Um, I, these, Char- Charizard? Yeah. One looks like a dog with a lion mane, and the other yeah. one kind of is an electric monster type thing. I don't know. Wow. Just, cool. I just caught him, but I had so many, and she was so unimpressed. Well, yeah, who isn't? That's like, <laughs> I'm like, look, I caught another one. You're a grown man. This is something that you'd expect your nine-year-old to do. If I had a nine-year-old. You need a nine-year-old. I'm working on it. Give me four years. Did you hear that the Indiana Animal Shelter, they, they're smart about this. This one's, yeah. They're saying, instead, if you're going to go do Pokemon, go do it all you want. But come over to the shelter, pick up one of our dogs, and take our dog for a walk hmm. while you're out going looking for a stray rat-a-tata-tata. Tata. Yeah. I hate those. I got 20 of them. Do you? Yeah. Are I they keep, everywhere? I keep trading them in. So if you're going to go find a stray rat-a-tata, I don't know how you say their name, <laughs> you, um, you, you take a stray dog out for a walk. That's kind of a cool activity. I've started changing their names. To, do you, you can't. You can change the Pokemon, Pokemon names on your phone. Well, but don't you need to? Aren't you collecting them for a reason? Well, yeah, they all stay connected, I guess, in some way. But you can go in and edit their actual name. Okay, so let me just remind. But of course, everybody. the servers are down. I can't show you. As a father who had children that collected Pokemon, and yeah. we spent I don't know hundreds and hundreds of dollars collecting. Uh, See, I named that one Big Bird. Yeah, because he's a big bird. Yeah, a big. You should have named him Big Flappy Bird because he's flapping. I got one here named Pizza Rat. <sighs> One's called Big Crab because he's a because he's got crabs. No, we he's spent, a big crab. I'm just you know. We let's s- simplify this. We spent hundreds of dollars on pokey cards that are useless now. See, Matt, this is what Terry hears you saying. <laughs> this one's called Geo Dude, but that's his real name, so I didn't change that one. I was like, that's pretty cool. Geodude works. Alert nerd. Do you notice that you're just turning into a nerd? I'm already there. I've you're never... a pokey nerd. This one's nerd! named. This one's named Drowsy. That looks like Ben. But that's his name. His name is Drowsy. Well, that's Ben's name. I know because he's over there sleeping, and he's, he doesn't have a nose like that. So it's like a, it's like one of the dwarves, right? Drowsy yeah. dwarf. Drowsy. Yeah. Which is better than itchy? This one's called Growthy. That's the one with the dog with the lion mane. Yeah, you're a nerd. Yeah, so yeah. So yeah, Pokemon. Well, you're in heaven. Your marriage, sure, your marriage is falling apart. It's fine. She but... barely she barely pays attention to me anyways. Well, yeah. Until she has to wait for you in the 98-degree weather. It while was hot. You're... It was pretty hot. Hold on. Let me just get one more pokey. It's okay because the place where we ate was right next to a poke stop. So like every five minutes, I was able to reload on Pokeballs. A poke stop? Yeah, that's where you reload on Pokeballs and gyms and potions and Isn't stuff. Isn't the poke just... Accordion music with a. That's the polka, but beat. a polka stop is a place where you reload on supplies. You have to have supplies. I thought the polka stop was when you can't handle any more polka music and you're like, <laughs> stop! That's a polka stop. No. New definition. Pokey. As of last week. A pokey stop. Mm. It wasn't the pokey where you take people to prison? That was, that was the pokey. Yeah. So, Pokemon, that's like a Jamaican prison. 
Is that right? No. But, you know, nice try. <sighs> I'm just trying to understand. By the way, a study came out last week says that we average a day touch our phones 2,617 times. We do. not As a general population. That's a lot of touching. We have the top 10% of phone users, so no one would expect it to be excessive. However, the rest of us still – the, the wow. top 10% touch their phone 5,400 times a day. Well, but- the average – Smartphone user, 2,600 times a day. But if you're just holding your phone all day, is that once? Does that count as once? Sure. One touch. You're fiddling with it. But that's just one touch. Like if, people pick it up and put it down that often? Apparently. Start counting. No. How often do you interact with your phone during the day? Well, I just, I've sat here for three hours and I've picked it up once. Says 87% of participants checked their phones and brought them out of sleep state at least once between midnight and 5 a.m. Oh, brother. <laughs> They're supposed to be asleep. Oh, I got to check my phone. And now we got people walking around with their phone chasing imaginary critters and then taking them to the pokey to listen to polka music. That's how the game works. Not really. But. Lots of polka craze. Hey, um, we will uh, take a break. When we come back, Heather Johnson will be in the house. She's going to teach us how to connect to your teenagers. Maybe it involves like a, what are they called? A pokeball? Yeah. It's going to be fun. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Also, we'll be talking with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation in about, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. Stick with us, finding out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show in studio. Hadge is with us. Heather Ann Johnson's her name. Hello. You're soaking in it. <laughs> Heather Ann Johnson uh, joins us. She is a uh, professor here at BYU and is um, a member of the faculty. She, as an adjunct, adjunct professor, teaches basically families how to be a family. Principles behind successful yeah. families. Principles yeah. behind successful families. How to hang out, how to be... A happy family. You can find out more from Heather Ann Johnson at familyvolley.com. Also, you can get her book, uh, Family Fun Fridays, and soon to be released, Family Fun Saturdays through Thursdays. We're working on it, right? Those are great books. Those are great. (laughs) (laughs) The ones that aren't written yet, especially. Those (laughs) Those are really good books. (laughs) Those are fantastic. You're the mommy of five kids, and how old's your oldest? Well, six, actually. Six kids. Oh, you had another child. Well, not recently. She's almost a year old. Yeah, this is a little old here. I'm just going to fix that. So uh, our oldest turned 14 yesterday. So you have teenagers. We have teenagers. We have two. We have a 12 and a 14-year-old. I guess are, Are they into this Pokemon thing? No. No, no. We're good. not Pokemon Go fans. That's really good. I know. We've kind of decided it's not going to be our thing. I have a feeling it's going to be around forever. Yeah, it could be. It could be. It's like, ugh. Anytime, you know? anytime I hear like abduction, all those things, I start to think, nah, we, we can find other things. Let's go play tennis. Yeah. Let's go do something different. I was playing tennis, watching people walking around the park. <laughs> and if something was traumatic because there was a girl on a guy's back and he was carrying her around like a backpack. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know if that's part of the pokey game. I don't know. We haven't we haven't delved into it. We've just don't, kind of off limited. Don't do it. it. Yeah. That's smart. Yeah. So It's the Devil's Workshop. It, <laughs> Pokémon. That technology. The Devil's Workshop. <laughs> so, 
uh, kids, teenagers. So I, I was on this trip with just my 21-year-old, I think. Okay. That's how old he is. You're not sure. And uh, I've, said, I've said 20 to 23 today. Um, but great kid. It's, it's interesting when you have hours and hours with a child. Um, you got to take advantage of it. You do, absolutely. But you also – it's easy to just say – Okay, I'm just going to watch my own show now. Yeah, and you've got your own stuff. Yeah. You do your own thing. And you pull away. You you do. But teenage life is actually or can be a lot of fun. We think of it as terrible. But if we'll change our mindset to teenagers being terrific, they're actually go. pretty unbelievable yeah. people. It's it's pretty amazing to think. And we're seeing it in our own home and I see it with families that I work with. You know, we go into it as parents thinking this is going to be miserable. You're a narcissist and you're irritating and you're selfish. Yeah. And, when really, I mean, we got to cut them some slack. These sweet little things are just trying to figure it out. They're just, yeah, life's hard and they, they've got to figure out themselves. They do. And it's tricky. And so if we'll change it to a terrific experience, mm-hmm. it will change our mindset right off the bat. One, one term too that I use all the time with families is I'm constantly telling them that this is probably the time where as parents we have to be most creative. And we don't think of that. We think, yeah. when do we need to be creative? Oh, when we have two, three, five-year-olds and they need right. entertained and they need taught. But really, if you want to know when creativity needs to kick in as a parent, it's when you start having teenagers. That's so and, true. And here is why. We've got these teenagers who more than anything are seeking autonomy. They're looking for an opportunity to grow, handle, do things on their own. But at the same time, they have to be tied to us in some fashion right? right? right. because they don't know it yet. They don't have the experiences. So we have to find a really creative way to allow them to discover themselves, explore themselves, get space from us, and yet still give them advice, teach them, lead them, guide them without them knowing it's happening. Because if they know it's happening, they'll immediately stop it. It's exactly right. Every time. Control that. Right. Because that's what they want. They want that control of their life. And we have this thought, and I feel bad when, when parents fall into this, we kind of get offended. It's like, wait a second, you don't want my advice and you want to go out on your own, but isn't that why we spent 12, 13 years teaching them? Right. So that they could, right. so they're not 40 in our basement, right? That's <laughs> so true. I, I don't want six kids 40 and up in our yeah. basement. Ben, are you listening? Just <laughs> yes, so you, yes. Okay. We, ben needs to hear stay that. Stay in your parents' basement. Right? Yeah. Oh. At least till you're 40, Ben. Listen, okay, yeah. Ben, listen. <laughs> so one way we can start thinking about this is we can start thinking about them as an extension instead of leaving us. Yeah. And that will help us not get so offended. They really are just extending away from us. The job then is is that their job is to extend away. Our job is to keep a connection. Mm. And so if we're the hub of a wheel, however you want to visualize it, if we hold on to the end of that pole and we keep that connection, that connection lies purely on our shoulders. That's our job. That's huge. And then in turn, they extend away and they get to grow and develop and change, but they're still connected. That's what we want. We want that connection. And then a little more rope and a little more rope and a little more rope till finally they're – out in space. They're on their own. <laughs> they're floating. And <laughs> they're, we hope they're surviving. They're floating in space. So how do we keep the connections going? How do we keep – how do we stay with them and not you know, be frustrated? Because they, they also want to be alone. They want they their space. And we have to grant them that. Yeah. We have yeah. to grant them that. So the first thing we can do is we can stop fighting it and just embrace it. Mm. We are so busy trying to change them, trying to either keep them young or stop them from thinking about themselves or get them more involved. Instead, we've got to simply embrace what's going on and accept the changes. 
And as we – now, we're not saying like we accept drug use and we – that's not right. what we're saying. We're accepting a process and a growth that's occurring. And as we accept that, when they feel that we're accepting that they're trying to grow and develop in positive ways, they then start to trust us. And once they start to trust us, then the world – there's no limits. Yeah. It just opens up. Yeah. So to do that, a couple of things we have to do first is we have to stop worrying about being their friends and remember we're parents first. Yeah. You've got a role. We do. And we have to be parents. Our children, our teenagers need a parent much more than they need a grown-up who's trying to act like a teenager. So true. And if you visualize that, it's just not pretty. No, it just isn't. It's just ugly. Right? A yeah. 45-year-old mom and dad. Get a life. Right. Who are trying to be 14. That's not what they need. Right. In the long run, that will hurt them far more than us being parents that have consequences and rules and listen and do those things we need to do. It's Because uh, we also worry that they have friends. Right. But then sometimes parents can't let go and let them – you know, let them go be with their friends. Right. And we take it personal again. Yeah. Right. And so this is where we have to stop worrying about being their managers and start worrying about being their consultants. Yeah. And we have to actually fire ourselves because if we don't fire ourselves, they're going to fire us. Yeah. And so we need to resign from the manager position. We held it for 12, 13 years. It was great. Managers, by definition, control everything about a situation. Right. We do that when they're little, right? We tell them what they wear, when they eat, who they can play with, when they can go out, when they go to the bathroom, when they go to bed. It's time to stop. And so now it's time to be a consultant, to be there with advice when they ask. Like, hey, it's midnight. I might go to bed if I were you. <laughs> right. Well, You are getting up early. Right. You do, you do have something in the morning. And you bring up bedtime, which is a really interesting point that we should spend some time on. We don't understand as parents that with our teenagers, we have very different sleep-wake cycles. Yeah. So for us, our bodies about seven o'clock as an adult start telling us it's getting close to bed. It's time to go to. That's why Mine's after, like six, right, six thirty. <laughs> that's why by dinner you're like sleepy I'm done. time. <laughs> it's exactly yeah. right. So right. teenagers start to get really their energy about three p.m. and they are on fire around eleven at night. Wow, that's when they're ready to go. And this is their body doing this. This isn't mentally yeah. them thinking I want to. And so their body works differently. So what this means is when we're sleeping, we're actually missing the very most powerful times that we can communicate with our children, uh, with our teenagers, and that's late at night. Oh, if yeah. you want to know when to talk to them, you stay up late with them. That They're always – and oh, I used to do that all the time. We'd just stay up and talk and they would. They'd open up. They'd open up. And there's a couple reasons why the late night is so good. One, late night works because they've had all day to process their experiences. When we hit them at 2 p.m. and it's like, hey, how was school? They've got nothing for us. Right, Our yeah. son looks at me and he's like, mm. good. Right. Well, how was your test? Fine. Well, what did you do with your friend? Nothing. It, really? So it was that great. Yeah, huh? Shape up, so, boy. So you had a lot of, of right. good experiences today. But if I give him time to process what happened throughout the day, by the time we hit later at night, he he's actually delved into what he did and what happened. And he's processed it. A couple other things. Late at night, they let down their guard, which we all do once we get a little more tired yeah. and the, the day settles down. And they're non-interruptible. Their, their phones are not ringing anymore. They don't That's have places true. to be decisions to make. So we want to jump in at night. Now, there's a couple really key rules for late night talking. The first is they're the ones talking, not us. Yeah. So this idea that late night talking means we go in and approach them and have a lot to say, if that's what you think you're going to do, you just shot yourself in the foot. If you want to communicate with your teenagers, Let zip it. Let them do the talking. L zip it. So our job is, is listening. It's just listening. Yeah. A couple other responsibilities we have late at night when we're talking is there's no guessing and there's no guilting. Yeah. We tend to guilt, especially mothers. We come into our kids and it's like, I sense, you know, you're in a bad mood today. I'm your mom. Tell me what's Tell wrong. Tell mommy what's Tell wrong. Tell mom, you know, you, you owe it to me. Yeah. I, I love you. Tell me. That's guilt. 
If you want to turn a teenager off, guilt them, right? Ugh. It's I, I don't care who you are. Right. I'm 15. I don't have to. They don't have to tell us until they trust us. So that's another thing we need to make sure we don't that's do. That's huge. We'll come back. We'll continue the discussion with Heather Ann Johnson, folks. We're learning how to connect to the teen. And apparently, they're night owls. You got to watch out for that. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Townsend Show. In studio with us is Heather Ann Johnson, Hadge, we call her. You're so in it. <laughs> You're so in it. That's Madge. But Heather uh, has a website, familyvolley.com, and um, also has a self-published book, Family Fun Fridays, where she helps uh, you be active with your family, gives you great ideas to be a unified family. Today, she's talking to us about our teens and how to not handle them, but how to how to cooperate with them in their upbringing? Connect with them. Connect with them. Yeah. Consult, not manage. Right. Let them start to take over their life because uh, they're going to anyway. Right. You're the only one that thinks they won't. Right. Right. And we actually keep them from yeah. doing that. Yeah. Right? And then we mess them up. We mess them up. So, what are some other rules uh, that we've got to we've got to stick to? One, two, one. You were talking about before the break is. Recognize their sleep schedules. They're they're going to get a lot of energy at night. Right. So if you want to connect to your kids, you got to be available at night. You do, and and we're talking later, right? We're not yeah. talking eight eight thirty anymore. It really is kind of that eleven o'clock hour, even later, twelve twelve thirty. The witching hour is what we call <laughs> right. it at my house. <laughs> when and it doesn't have to be every night, but I know even with our son now, I just find once or twice a week where I on purpose stay up a little later, and I'll head down to his room and I find him doing something and. Yeah. I just sit for a minute and before I know it, he's like, you know, Blah. throwing up all yeah. his thoughts and feelings and, and I can capitalize That's on that. Great. So we've got to do that. Some mistakes we make though, we talked about not guilting them. Another huge mistake we make is we guess. Yeah. When we talk with our kids, we start – our teenagers, we start to guess what they're thinking or what they're feeling or what might be wrong. And actually, these two things work exactly the same way in marriage relationships where we guilt or guess. Yeah. And so when we guess, you know, it's it's us or it's me going to our son and saying, hey, you know, you seem frustrated today. And then I fill it with, well, what happened? Did you fail your math test? Yeah. Well, did you get in a fight with no, your friends? No. Or, well, did you miss right. the bus? And what we don't realize is we're just trying to get more information, which is what we need. But for our children, our teenagers, what we've just told them is we've actually just explained to them all the places where we feel they're inferior. Right. So what my son just heard was, I don't think he's good in math. I think he's lousy with his friendship relationships. And I don't think he's ever on time. That's what he heard. Now, that's not what that's I said. That's bad parenting. It is bad. It is bad. <laughs> it's not what I said and it's not what I was thinking. Right, right. But that's how he interprets that. Because you're guessing. He right. has the answers, and so let him let him express right when he's ready. Right, right. I haven't I haven't earned his trust yet. If he's not willing to start talking yeah, to me, that's right. So guessing is going to shoot it down really fast. So no more guessing. Right. We don't even when they come home from school. We obviously might see that they're frustrated or mad or had a bad day. It's not the time to start interjecting why we think that's happened. <laughs> let it be. Right, parents, come on. I, I know you're horrible. 
So a couple other things when it comes to late night, because this is so powerful, is and this is used in therapy. The term is used in therapy all the time. But we have door handle revelations, is what they call it, mm. where right as the conversation is ending, our teenager will drop something on us, like, "Oh yeah, hey, I saw porn yesterday," or "Hey, I think this is good," or "I hate something big," right, on their way out the door or on our way out the door. And oftentimes we don't know how to handle that. Now we have to understand they're doing it on purpose. Yeah. They drop it to put us in a position to see how we're going to handle it. Is mom going to freak out? Is she going to lecture me? Can she handle this type of information? Because I have something bigger. I just am, you know, right. priming the pump a little bit to see if I can go forward with it. And so when those things happen, we don't want to react to a door handle revelation. Instead, we want to take the information they've given us and we want to simply allow them to see our thought process out loud, which is just fine, which is where we look at them and we say, hey, did you want to sit down and talk more about it, it's kind of big. Or did you want some more time to think about it yourself? That's cool. And they'll look at you and they'll say, well, I mean, it, it kind of has been on my mind a little, you know, yeah. and, and they'll talk to you and you'll keep talking or else they'll say, no, I don't really want, and they'll go on their way. So that's one huge mistake we also make. The last mistake I do want to talk about because it's a big deal is teenagers tend to experience an emotional hangover is what it's called in therapy when they've kind of thrown it all out on the table late at night with us. As parents, we feel great about it. We go to bed. We've yeah. got some answers. we got all this knowledge. And we wake up in the next morning and the first thing we want to do is, oh, we want to talk about let's it Let's keep going. Wait, let's just – Round two. Oh, it's just been we, – we really connected last night. Yeah. Let's do this more. Teenagers wake up and they think, oh my gosh, what did I just do? <laughs> I just let the genie oh, out of the Oh my bottle. gosh. I, I feel so emotionally vulnerable and they're going to have to come down the stairs or walk in the kitchen and there you sit yeah. and they're wondering, oh my gosh, are, it's daylight now. It's I'm, I don't have the dark time anymore. <laughs> what am I going to do with yeah. this? And so this emotional hangover that they call it, it it's going to be with them. So the last thing we want to do is again, just hit them up that next morning. Let, let them be. Just let it go. Let it go. And if they want to talk about it more, they'll come in and say, hey, mom, you know what we talked about last night? Well, great. Yes, I Here do. Here we go. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? But if nothing's said, then yeah, have a great it. day at school. Love you. Here's your lunch. Move along. Out the door. Don't crash. Right? Hand them a fruit snack. It's, it's exactly right. Or like 12 because now they eat that's more. Right. And let them go. Yeah. So these are some big mistakes we make. We think, oh, yeah, late night talking. That's fine. I can stay up. But those things actually ruin the experience, yeah. which means there's not going to be another one of those conversations. Each time we make these mistakes, we lose their trust a little more. Totally. And then that trust, it, it builds and builds. And so it hurts us. It that's hurts great us advice. It's almost like you've done this. <laughs> We're working on it. Right? You're a highly trained professional. Okay, give us the one last thing. What's the if we if we there's one thing we can do to connect. One more. Okay. Yeah. One more thing to connect is teenagers have a very hard time understanding and dealing with stress. And so again, another acronym taking from the therapeutic world is HALT. H A L T. What we do is in 12-step programs, addicts will come in and once they're working through their addiction, they're taught the HALT term. And what it means is that they're supposed to stay not overly hungry, not overly angry, not overly lonely, and not overly tired. Hmm. When they feel those four emotions, they're like 99.9% .9 more likely to go back to the addiction. Yeah. Now, remember, teenagers right now need to find their own answers. They need to go their own directions and discover it themselves. So one of the best ways we can connect is when they're starting to struggle and stress, instead of telling them why, teach them HALT and simply remind them of the acronym and then allow them to explore why they're feeling the way they're feeling. Yeah. They will then come to their own answers. And so we're not telling them. We're not – we're simply saying, hey, listen, HALT. And they can then go back to themselves and say, wait a second. 
I haven't eaten in like 12 hours. I'm really hungry. Or I was up way too late. I'm tired. Or So we shouldn't yell, halt! Yeah, no. Don't yell it. No, it's more teaching them and then simply reminding them so that they can explore yeah, they can their go, own direction. Ben does this ben. all the time. <laughs> hungry, well, you just angry, don't let me lonely, eat. You just start. Tired. See, you need snacks in here. Oh, yeah. We've if, been saying that forever. If Haven't we, we could have a bowl of jelly beans right there, I'd really appreciate it. Halt! Halt. But love That's them, great advice. Love them for who they are, right? And instead of us having to be right, just be glad they're figuring it out. Yeah. Let, and, and drop they're on the it. ego, right? Yeah. We As got parents. years to do it professionally. Right. But we got to we gotta drop our ego, not worrying about being right or telling them, and let them go do it and love, love the process. It. Love it. Heather Ann Johnson, appreciate it. Great Good insight. Stuff. Good Thank stuff. you so much. Go to familyvolley.com. That's her website where you can get uh, all the latest and greatest. You can also look her up uh, on Twitter at pen and, pa- pen and Paper Girl. Pen and Paper Girl. You still there? You still doing that? I'm one? still here. Of course you're. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, keep up the great work, Hatch. Thanks. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with our good buddies uh, from just like teenagers <laughs> from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. Back everybody to the Matt Townsend show. <laughs> the music always surprises me. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. What's up? Spencer will be here in a minute. Is this a veiled reference to uh, BYU being delivered from Independence into, say, the Big Twelve? Is that what you're getting? I, at? you know, I don't, I, I don't think it was that. Because that would have taken a lot of forethought. <laughs> That's a good little reference, though. It's definitely not that. Is there is there is there news that we're missing? No. Okay. Just but to, yeah, we will update you on the show today about uh, what Big Twelve Media Day. Okay. Okay. Tomorrow, uh, there could be a vote on expansion or not. So what what do we think is going to happen? But more importantly, today we're going to discuss what's the number one reason you want BYU to be in the Big Twelve. Huh. Why you want BYU? Why do you want BYU in the Big Twelve, Matt? Well, because um, they they you know they I hear they have great parties, and this is a party school. <laughs> Somebody's got to turn the party on at BYU. It's it's funny to hear some of the uh, result the answers the results to the question because yeah, what are they what are people saying? <laughs> some people are like yeah so. We can stop at Utah shoving Pac-12 in our face. Yeah. Conference context, uh, money, recruiting. Chance to be Texas every year. Better polls. <laughs> yeah. There's some good answers. So Those are we'll, great we'll answers. Discuss. Yeah, and we'll give you our answers. What a great discussion, of course. Like you guys don't do that every time. Every day. Every day. That's the goal. Hey, are you guys Pokemon Go people? No. Nope. So you have lives? No. No. Okay. I got kind of weirded out by the whole idea that your information was available to a lot of people. Yeah, that's weird. Wait, Facebook? On Pokemon Go, like your your Google account information. (laughs) I mean, Facebook's one thing. I mean, I I just like to show my family, my house, my yard, everything. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you this, and this doesn't have anything to do with Pokemon Go, but I mean, don't you think – have you ever seen the people doing Pokemon Go? Don't they look like the Walking Dead 
you know, kind of zombie yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Have a you seen bit. the movie Warm Bodies? No. Fantastic movie. Fantastic I, movie. I don't. So, I don't look at. I don't watch movies like that. Check it out. So uh, there's a part in it where he talks about man. He's a zombie. The guy speaking, and he yeah. says, "Man, I, I remember when it was." We were human, and we were just walking around talking to each other. It was great. And then it cuts to a scene from everyone as zombies back to normal life like now, but everyone's on their phone walking around. <laughs> so that that's what this Pokemon that, Go experience that's is. That's exactly what it is. I was – I mean, the, we used to go to the park, and you'd play and run around, and now <laughs> – What a funny thought. I know. Now they're all just chasing ratatatas or whatever I don't know. I, yeah, I, I know it's a huge thing. I don't know anything about – Pokemon. I think you'd like, be good I never at learned it. They've already started it. creating parodies making fun of people playing Pokemon Go. See, something's not right, folks. Something's wrong. Or it's too right. Hey, what do you think about Russia? Did you hear about this? Russia recognizes cyber sport as official form of athletic pursuit. Well, they need to figure out anti-doping uh, measures before they... But <laughs> can you dope? I guess I guess esports. Can Shots you dope fired. in esports? Okay, you can dope in esports yeah. because you can make yourself more alert. Ooh, yeah, yeah. caffeine. No, right, you can caffeine up. You Ooh, can you like, like you can take you can take pills that could make your stimulants greater. Mm-hmm. Adderall or whatever. Yeah, yeah it, that is a performance <laughs> enhancer of some yeah. kind, right? See, ooh. But, but aren't gloves in football a performance enhancer? Yes, yes. sticky you know gloves. What I mean? So where Absolutely. do you draw the line there? No, exactly. It doesn't affect your health, though. Ooh, that's true. Think, well, they do. Yeah, but the bottom yeah. line is, do you perform better because of said thing? Have you ever tried to drive with those sticky receiver gloves on? <laughs> no. You can't get your hand off the wheel. Yeah, you just, it's like it's just, just honey. Just, Boom. It's like honey. It's like molasses. <laughs> Man, I've missed you guys. I've been out of town, and then you were gone forever, Jerome. Yeah, I've I'm, yeah, I'm going to be gone tomorrow as well. Are you? <laughs> we, we blows day camp, man. Oh, my heavens. I'm dead serious. We've got to shoot from BB gun and a bow and arrow first responder. Oh, that's going to be fun. Plus, you get to do all the, the scout chairs. I don't know any of that. Oh, like, you'll I'm, learn them. No. They're fantastic. Are they? In fact, can you can you go tomorrow and learn one scout cheer and bring it back to us? Please do this, Jerem. Please. Do that this. would be so fun. One scout cheer. We will we'll be sure to ask you what when you come back. What number are you, Jerem? Seventeen twenty nine. Your troop seventeen twenty nine. Weeblos. The extinct animal known as the Weeblo. The Weeblos wobble, but they don't fall down. We'll be loyal scouts. I believe it's the Wabellos. Oh. Is that what it means? We be loyal scouts. We'll be loyal scouts. Yeah, that's yep. right. We be, we be, yeah, that's, that's horrible English. <laughs> yeah, um, now it's we be loyal scouts. We be loyal oh, so We be loyal. We be loyal. <laughs> we Benjamin. <laughs> Buffalo soldier. Oh, you guys are good. Hey, yeah, I'm, uh, not, I'm not teaching the 10-year-olds that. But Madhu, for sure, that would be the best skit. You're, gonna, you're probably going to need to have a skit ready, too. Luckily not. I'm not into any of that. I don't know why they put me in scouts. I know, but it's because this is part of the growth process. I'm just happy to be. I, you know, I'm just. I'm just ready to serve. Okay. Are you a friend of scouts? No. I'm a friend of scouts. Yeah. I pay I, every I'm year. I'm friendly. With yeah. Scouts. You're friendly with scouts, yeah. but not not with Weeblow Scouts. You're friendly with the scouting industry. Yeah. What yeah. you mean by that is, do you donate to scouts? Right. Exactly. Are you a friend of scouting? Because <laughs> if you're my friend, you give me money. Yeah. We'd be needing money. <laughs> you ain't my friend if you'd go give me money. <laughs> if you, 
Can you imagine if that's how friendships were based? Are you a life? friend of Spencer Linton? Are you my friend? <laughs> I've never given Spencer. Well, I then have given then, Spencer. Then you're not my friend. I paid for How good of a friend are lunch. you? Then you're my friend. <laughs> then we're friends, man. If you paid for my golf and my lunch, we're we, friends. We be loyal friends, yo. <laughs> Weebaloof. <laughs> Weebaloof. That's the lesser known Weebalo clan. <laughs> Bear, wolf, bobcat, Weebaloof. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you're a scouter, you're just laughing your head off right now. Hey, or you're um, angry. <laughs> or are, people are, are like, what? Or are you going to find my troop leader? <laughs> you're like, do not make fun of scouting. You're going to find the den master and take care of business. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I was the cub master. Greatest, greatest calling on earth. There you go. Cub master. By the way, I really do. I need you to get a scout cheer for us. You'll, you'll find a million of them. No guarantees, man. Okay, but just do it. Just do it for us. What, what else is on the show? Anything else that, you know, that, that we got to know before we let you go? Devon Blackman, former BYU wide receiver, always entertaining, always outspoken. What he thinks about BYU football now, his best buddy Jamal Williams is the star running back, what he expects from him in the upcoming season, and what are his future football plans? Is he done playing football? Sweet. No, he's not, because you're asking. Anything else there, Jeremy? Yeah, Heather Olmstead, the BYU women's uh, volleyball yeah. coach, will be in. She uh, yep. was in the Dominican Republic, uh, dorking around, slash helping coach the Pan American. Dorking coach. around. <laughs> dorking around. We're going to ask her if she found any baseball players for Mike Littlewood. That's coming up. Wow. That's a great show. <laughs> well, guys, knock them dead. I know you got to go wax on, wax off, and uh, I, I know you'll kill it like you always do. Weebeloof out. <laughs> Weebeloof. Weeby jamming. Okay. Good luck, guys. Remember who you are. Return and report tomorrow. Okay, we got. We need your insight. We'll. We'll. Uh, gosh, they're going to uh, the Weeblo days. Remind me of when I learned to swim. Actually, I learned to drown at Weeblo camp. I was a Weeblo's leader once. Really? Mm-hmm. They let you around the kids. Yeah, this was before with all the criminal yeah. history. Okay, this was before the Walmart incident. <laughs> Nobody even knew about the Walmart incident oh. until you just brought it up. No, no, it was a Safeway incident. Sorry. Hey, let me ask you this: um, If if you, let's just say, somebody cheated on you, okay? There's a response, and there's not. There's a healthy response, and there's not a good response. Okay, so a Wisconsin man was arrested after police said that he set fire to the car of a man he believed was having an affair with his girlfriend. Police and firefighter found a Suzuki Verona engulfed in flames. An officer spoke to Christopher M. Johnson, who was sitting on a porch directly in front of the vehicle, drinking from a can of beer, according to police reports. Johnson, 35, said he had never... Uh, seen the car, didn't know what happened to it, and was not going to tell the officer anything. He went upstairs while the officer checked the vehicle's registration information. When the officer knocked on the door, Johnson answered and asked whether he was going to jail. The report said that he asked if he could go to jail for setting something on fire. So apparently, you got to be smart. It's one thing to, like, scratch your key in the side of a car. It's another thing to light it on fire. There are other ways you can handle a dispute like this. Like, I don't know, talking to a mediator. Carve your name into his leather seats. Yeah, no, that's not one way. 
Another way would be to call a relationship coach like myself. Take a baseball bat to his headlights. Okay, no, you're you're going with the theme. We're trying to go the other direction, away from the violent theme of tearing up a car. Like talking about it. Get a mediator. But if you need a like coach. a quick, quick response, you can always do that afterwards. Yeah, but you see, it's the quick response you don't want to go for because that's usually when the police will be called. Yeah, but it's like it's more powerful when you let your emotions kind of take over and – Nope. That's what I found, at least. Okay. Which is why, again, you're not the coach because your advice is horrible. You don't go with the immediate get the bat, headlights, carve your name in the seats. But I think most people can relate to my strategies than other presented strategies. You mean healthier strategies? Some, had, some have said that. Ben, this is why you don't have your own show. This is why I'm listed as talent. Co-talent. Okay. Whatever. Hey, uh, as you know, we always like to wrap up the show with a hero story, right? So who better to be a hero than a guy that saves a toddler's life that was buried alive at the beach? Uh, Newport Beach, California. This is out of KSDK.com. The decision to help a frantic mother on a California beach was an easy one for three Mesa men who ended up saving a two-year-old toddler's life. Our mothers always taught us that when someone's in need, you step up and you help them, said Stuart Frost, who was on vacation at Newport Beach on Saturday. Stuart, along with his twin brother Steve Frost and his nephew Jesse Martin, were with their families on the beach when they noticed a woman yelling for help. We can see her about 40 to 50 yards up the beach, and she has her hands on her head like uh, going crazy, like she's distressed. Stuart is an orthodontist, and his brother is an endodontist in the valley. The woman's son, Brooks, was missing, and she was desperately trying to find him. A lifeguard was notified, but none of the dozens and dozens of people on the beach were stepping up to help. Nobody was doing anything. So he said, my brother and I and a few family members, we just said, let's go help this lady. They ran up there, and they instantly realized that the boy had been buried and started digging. And uh, he says, I'll never forget as long as I live. I looked over there, and Jesse says, I found him. He's reaching down and finding this little boy in a blue swimsuit and uh, pulling him out of a hole. So three guys from out of state end up saving this cute little boy from uh, death. I mean, quite literally being buried alive. The boy eventually started screaming and crying and was taken to the nearby hospital. Hours later, the boy's family contacted the men and showed them a picture of smiling Brooks, who was expected to make a full recovery. Two days later, Stewart was riding his bike along the beach when the boy's family spotted him and flagged him down to say a heartfelt thanks to everyone. Anyway, they're the heroes of the day. How cool are that? Just a simple family on vacation willing to step out of their own lives to make uh, to help someone else that was in need. That's what we all need to be, folks, heroes. And I think you all are. Uh, that's the goal of the show is to help you see the good in the world. And remember, you're part of that good. So we'll take a break. Actually, we're done. And right now at the top of the hour, you'll be listening to BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. Until tomorrow, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.